the best of Ron and Fez on Raw Dog Comedy Hits. Presents the funniest people of all time. This is the next host of The Daily Show, Trevor Noah. Well, that's Jeffrey Guardian's theme song, isn't it? It seems to be. Yeah. Jeffrey, with all your um, sparkly, <laughs> sparkly uh, clothes today, I, yeah, I wore a sparkly scarf in yeah. honor of my guest. He's a sparkly guest. But see, here's the thing: if something happens and we get hunted, what if the Nazis are chasing us? Right. You are going to gleam in the my, moonlight. My, well, that's why I wear other scarves. Oh, I see. It's a three-scarf day. Smart. You know that. Well, uh, who do you have with you chances. today? I'm going to let you guess. I'm going to make you believe, uh, you make believe that you don't see who it is, but okay. I'm going to let you guess, okay? Right. An international comedy star, okay? Uh, new correspondent on The Daily Show, and the only big star that ever apologized to me for laughing too loud during my act, <laughs> <laughs> who said he ruined my taste. So that you means kindness. That's kindness. kindness. Very kind, very kind well, you, person. you could have one more thing, the guy everybody's talking about these everybody's days. Everybody's talking about Trevor Noah. How are you, buddy? Amazing. Great, Trevor Noah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you so much. I think it's one of the most interesting things to be able to make people laugh in another country. You know what I mean? It's a tough thing to pull off. It, it is actually a very yeah. tough thing to it's pull It's a tough thing to pull off anywhere, to be honest. Uh, Take it a laugh anywhere. It, in the world. it genuinely is. Like, <laughs> I always say I hate the fact that comedy is the thing I know because I would have chosen accounting, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, like, people, oh, why did you choose? I didn't choose comedy. If I could, cho- if I could have chosen something, I would have been a Comedy a chose single. you. But yeah. it is true. Like You don't think that uh, like an accountant's not going to wake up in the morning and go, do I still have it? Am exactly. I still <laughs> having it? I think it's because it's such a mystery of where humor comes from. I don't know whether it can be built. You know what I mean? I think that you're born with a certain amount of humor and you could scrape away what doesn't work for you. Yep. But I don't, you know, I know they have those comedy schools. Yeah. I don't know whether you could take someone who is very logical and methodical and then turn them into a funny person. Well, also translating from one country to another, what's funny in one country may not be funny in another. Yeah, which well, is something it, always fascinated me. You know, what it, you know what it is? Is It's one of the biggest things I had to learn when I first started doing comedy in America was just like how perspective changes. I remember when I first came out here, I had to realize it was so strange to see how sensitive and rightly so, let's say, New Yorkers were about anything 9-11 related. Yeah. But then, for instance, if you were in Erie, Pennsylvania, it was just this distant thought to them. You know, right. you, you know what I mean? And so you, when, you, when you go to each place, you start to realize that, that just the same topic you have to approach in a very different way. And it's no different to the same way you would tell your mama's story or your grandmother versus your best friend. You'll right. tell the same story, but you'll tackle it in a very different way because you know that you're dealing with a different person. You know? I, I think that's incredibly fascinating and probably easier somewhat for an outsider to pick up on because you bring none of our prejudice to Erie, Pennsylvania. or <laughs> North, You know what I mean? Like We would go, exactly. well, that's how they are. Mm-hmm. But when you have that perspective to go, I'm going to discover who these people are. It's the, it's the thing that we it's the strangest thing about thinking that you know anything 
as soon as that happens, you stop learning about it. Yes. You know? And it's great that you use the word discover, because that's really what you're doing. When you go on stage in different places, you're discovering what appeals to different people. Definitely. And what they right. respond to. It's, it's, a, it's always a test. It's, it's, the, it's the craziest. I always say comedy is genuinely the craziest thing, because you can, there's no, you know, like with a song, once a song is a hit, it's a mm -hmm. hit. When you perform that song, nobody's going to boo Bruce Springsteen, Springsteen when yeah. he gets on stage. They're going, oh, God, that, that song's not the same anymore. It's the same. You know yeah. it. But comedy is its the strangest monster where you'll get on stage with a bit that you think you have worked everything out of. you like, this is the best joke ever. And on the wrong night with the wrong audience in the wrong place, it will all go down the tubes. And you, you, you just walk away going, I don't know what happened. Isn't that amazing? And com comedians have to learn to deal with that. Yeah. You just have to have... To know, like, it worked ten nights. It's got to be funny. It's the energy in the room. Yeah, you you have you just right. have to find it's it's. I it's mean, always it's, about it's, time and place. It's a horrible mm -hmm. experience. Everything about that is time and place. And I think it's always strange when you go back and see something from years ago, and you would think, oh, I thought that was so much funnier. And even in your mind, sometimes you think, I thought the audience was rolling and screaming, but it was just doing okay. Well, sometimes it also has to do with the audio. The audience can be rolling and screaming, <laughs> right. and you didn't get a good tape. And, and, you, no, and, but, but and the laugh doesn't sound that good. Jeffrey, blame the tape. Yeah, but the I tape. Mean, even something, blame like, the tape. Yeah. something that you yeah. saw on TV, like it's Kinnison or Murphy, you remember it differently than if you go back and watch it. And I've tried to play some things for like my kids before, from from when I was younger. Some of the stuff holds up. It has a shelf life. Some of the stuff I'll, I'll find myself saying, well, you don't understand. No one said that before. You know what I mean? Like they will never, it would be, it was impossible them to be as shocked by Sam Kinison as I was. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because since that, everybody's been able to walk up that place that Kinnison explored first. Well, it's basically you know? it's basically the evolution of porn. That's what it is. Right. Like, you, if, you, if you want to look at the barriers, I always say porn, the, the same way they lead the trends when it comes to digital media, they lead the trends when it comes to what our baseline is for what we think acceptable or crude is. Right. Mm -hmm. So there was a time when porn was just a woman in her underwear. You're like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. And then I remember yeah. the first time I saw a nipple in a porn. I was like, this is the most ridiculous thing That's ever. Crazy. And then now... If it doesn't include ten guys on the top of a skyscraper, yeah. it's like yeah, and this with is a camel. Yeah. This is this is vanilla. Yeah. This is vanilla. Right. right. You know. And the difference it's is desensitized people. You know, Chris Stanley yeah. is younger, but he was uh, he doesn't understand the backstory oh, in a porn. porn? When oh. we grew up, there had to be a reason for the woman to be there, what? the man to be there. <laughs> just, now with porn, you usually just a delivery of some kind. Already, yeah, yeah the <laughs> delivery or just show up to the mansion. Yeah, there would be some reason that these people, and it would take a lot of talking, like. I think these two are going to have sex, but now it starts with people actually naked. Yes, and it's just compilations of coming. Well, yeah. fluid shooting everywhere. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And that's but that's that's the same. So if you look at that, if you look at the evolution of porn, you can you can directly see the evolution of comedy. It's it's what was acceptable at a time, and then yeah. what is acceptable now. Now to shock people, now you really have to. You have to be, you know, what we would consider extreme now. Whereas right. back in the day, you listen to that stuff. You listen to all the greats from way back, and you're like, "Wow, this was this was edgy. This was considered." Well, like Lenny yeah. Bruce, he wouldn't be considered. He would be considered probably mild today, and yet he'd still be considered good. Not oh, absolutely. all those guys. Yes, were, yeah. There's a lot of guys that couldn't make a living today mm -hmm. if you if you took them out of their time. But I but I think Lenny would 
still be able to work. But I, I, I think that there's also something else that's very different. That a, a comedian now is willing to express anything that they've done. They sacrifice their entire life. Where Lenny stayed cool. You know what I mean? Uh, Eddie Murphy was cool. Richard Pryor was cool. Kinnison was cool. George Carlin was cool. Mm-hmm. But now they can't wait to say, oh, I jerked off. It's a therapy session. It's a therapy session. Yeah, that's a really good point. Well, that's what it is. It's a therapy session where they're just unloading their darkest, deepest thoughts that right. usually you would never say to another person, and they give each other the courage to say it on stage. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. But mm-hmm. what's, what's amazing about comedy, it. though, is I find from watching my favorite comedians is you'll watch somebody and then they will say what what a lot of the time you'll say something that you think only pertains to you, right? And then you'll see people in the audience go, "Oh, that's not just me." Yeah. Oh, right. he, he also he also does that. I thought yeah. it was the only guy who jacked off to Martha Stewart. Wow. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? There's things sure. where you'll wow. be shocked at how similar. And I think that's that's the real magic of comedy is trying to find those similarities where nobody knew we were all thinking the same thing. Where you know where somebody says it for the first time, well, somebody yeah. goes, "Wow, yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly what I've been thinking." And shining that's the, the light. That's, that's the, the light. power of sharing. When people right. share and you identify, mm-hmm. you realize you're not alone. You're not the only person in the world that's that sick, that there are other people who are just as sick as so you are. So we're sharing sickness yeah. is what we're doing. <laughs> that, that's what we're, we're, doing. Sharing we're sharing our mental illness. spreading sickness. Sickness and realizing that we're all the same. Uh, Trevor Noah is going to be performing at the Gotham Comedy Club this Friday through Sunday. Go to GothamComedyClub.com for tickets and more information. But also, of course, Trevor being with The Daily Show, and, uh, of course, such a big major show. So many great people came off of that show. And there you are. You have to identify to the American people. Yes. But you, and also we're looking for the fact of your background as well. We want the fact that you're from South Africa. I, you know what? That's, that, for me, has been the amazing reason, one of the amazing reasons I, I, I was privileged enough to join the show, is that mm. John Stewart approached me. As a stand-up, which I didn't, I, I mean, I never saw him as, I was like, he's John Stewart. And this, you get a random phone call from him, not from an assistant, not yeah. mm. from stand-up to stand-up. And he goes, hey, listen, I know you're touring. I know you're traveling. I like your stuff. We've got to find a way for you to work with us. Wow. And that was a year before I, I could get it right. We, we just couldn't work it. And he said, well, I'm not going anywhere. So you'll tell me and we, we're going to make this thing work. And I was honored. I mean, it's John Stewart. Sure. Yeah, what a wonderful. It's not just a funny voice, but a voice that actually says something. Mm-hmm. And then, and th- that's that's literally what we've done. And what's amazing to see is, is how like even the Daily Show has has expanded. It was a very American show. It is a very American mm-hmm. show. But when I did my first segment, the people in the world, I was I was in random. I'd be in Dubai, and people would be like, "Hey, Daily Show," and you're just like, "Really?" <laughs> from the computer or from everywhere. From yeah, uh, it's it's it's. The world is becoming so much smaller now. Mm-hmm. Social media yeah, is changing. Now people see a cool video, they upload it, they go, oh, look at this thing, or listen to what this guy said. Oh, the world is changing completely. So what was once a regional thing is now only limited by how many people share it. It's, a, it's an amazing thing to see. Which see, is another reason why we have to be so careful what we say these days. Do you find that right. while you're traveling that people are so caught up in political correctness that things that you used to say that were acceptable, sometimes people What are kind like, of horrible Ooh. things were you saying? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of misogynistic, racist things were you saying? No, I see that a lot, though, in clubs. People are like, oh, or boo. And comics are like, fuck you, it's a comedy show. 
Like people are needing are having to explain their lines. You don't I, do I will, objectionable I will, humor. I will say this. I will say this. This is the one th one thing that has changed comedy. And I, and I heard, for instance, I heard Chris Rock talking about it, where he was saying if somebody had seen him or if somebody had recorded him doing working on that famous niggers versus black people, right. bit, mm -hmm. if someone had recorded that in the early stages, he would have been written off as a comedian. It was. He said it was racist. It was vitriol. It just didn't work. He knew what he was trying to say, right. but he couldn't say it in the right way. And that I think that's a lot of jokes is that when you when you're trying to bring it out of your mind, it doesn't really make sense. You 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 know, and a club is supposed to be that environment. But now, the club is not the club anymore. Now you you say something, and then someone was recording it. They put right. it on YouTube. The mm -hmm. next thing you know, you're going now. You're trying to explain no. Sure. What I was saying was right. yeah, and it doesn't context. work anymore. Yeah, and can you imagine if? I know soccer teams would have to have everything viewed, no matter the, every practice, every workout. Yeah, you yeah. know, um, th that's where we are with it. You have to be able to say this thing takes a while. I remember when I did that thing at the Friars Club, and there, it was Bill Hicks, mm -hmm. and they showed him on the day that the Waco massacre took place, mm -hmm. and he was so angry. So they took the attitude of, yeah, towards the end he was angry rather than funny. I'm going, that was the day it happened. Mm -hmm. If you weren't angry that day, you were never. To get to you. a place yes. Yes. where you could make it funny, you mm -hmm. have to have the initial emotion of this is wrong. Um, but you know, getting back to John Stewart, who I think is amazing because people look at him as, as you know, a very political comedian. But what he has changed in just late night from the way he does his show, where now every show works off of clips. Mm -hmm. Johnny Carson never worked off clips, Letterman, Leno. And now you look around, and he was so successful comedically, just showing someone out of the news doing something, yeah. that every show picked it up. And I think it's so funny that sometimes he gets a lot of credit for political smartness but they forget show business wise mm -hmm. it's a really smart show broadcasting wise it's an incredibly well-paced show it right. really is it brings in multimedia which the older guys would have never thought of that it's never, social media has to do did. with that johnny carson was never going to start doing clips and stuff it, it didn't even exist in the early days the internet wasn't happening yeah but a lot now. of those things i mean he would just use people from news shows or something off even a pre-internet thing or uh, a pre-internet the way it is now where it's so immediate where so he was just fast. where he was just taking the stuff that people that were from other shows yeah which which was almost to a certain extent regarded as taboo back then, back then absolutely you, you didn't acknowledge another person show you almost yeah. acted like it didn't exist you're like yeah. this is my show right. but now we live in a yeah because of john stewart's to a large extent it's now going hey do you know what happens on that show this 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 crazy shit happens yeah and then but your viewers don't feel like they need to go there they go well well john will tell us what happened on right. fox news and john will tell us what happened so you become the hub for information you become yeah. and that i think falls into the realm of a brilliant comedian is that you know, when you have a when you have a really brilliant comedian, the top guys, mm -hmm. they're almost your one stop shop. You go, well, well, I mean, if he talks about it, then then it happened. You know, he becomes. That's my, interesting. I never even thought about that, but that is true. He beca all the greats did it. You know, from yeah. the Bruces to the Hickses to the, the like all of them. They if they you, they become your source of information and they make it palatable. Mm -hmm. So you go, he's not going to lecture me. He's going to give it to me in a way where I go, oh, okay, okay. If he talked about it, then it then it existed. And as you said, they reference each other. Because because if you're secure, then you're not threatened yes. by another comedian. Yes. If you know that you're good, it's like a beautiful woman who's secure will embrace other beautiful women. Yes. But other, 
otherwise they're, they're catty and they just hate them because they look good. Yeah. And so a secure comedian will embrace... Well, Other some comedians. of those people don't like their clips being on there. If I was Fox News, you know what I mean? I'd be like, ah, I don't see this as a tribute. Uh, how about you growing up in South Africa? Was the censorship still there at that time? or Luckily, I, yeah. when I was 10 years old, we, we had our first democratic election. So mm -hmm. I only lived six years into apartheid. So I've, I really consider myself very lucky because yeah. I got to see the country change but by the time I was old enough to understand what liberties and freedom were, mm -hmm. I w it would, had already happened. So I didn't suffer like my parents did, you know. So so it wasn't a slow change where some people still held on. To oh the, no, of course. I yeah. mean, there's people still holding on to it today. Yeah. But but legally, th that's the big step. You know, can people do it in the open? Can people be openly racist? Right. Can people? Now we don't have censorship. If I was a comedian 20 years ago in South Africa, I would be arrested. You know, it doesn't, didn't matter if you were black or white. If you spoke out about the government, if you said anything that made it seem like you were against the man, you were going to jail. It was wow. as simple as that. So I grew up in a world, I didn't know of comedians. I didn't, I didn't have any, I didn't even know there was, a, there was such a thing. Where you you had no guy. reference. No, I, I genuinely didn't. I didn't have a Lenny Bruce in my world. I didn't have any of these guys saying these things. So... So by the time I got into comedy, it was it was somebody. The first time I saw comedy from America was a friend of mine. Just after I had started, he went, "Hey, do you know Eddie Murphy? He 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 does the thing that you're doing." And I was like, "What do you mean?" I was like, "Eddie Murphy is Eddie Murphy is the Nazi professor." What are you talking about? <laughs> and he was like, "Eddie Murphy yeah. the stand." I was like, "I've never. You are lying. Eddie Murphy did not do stand-up comedy." And he was like, and he gave me a VHS and he said, "Watch this." And I was like, wow. And I, I remember I watched Raw for the first time. And I just, I sat there. You know when you reconsider all your options in life and yeah. you go, I need to quit because I don't know how you make people laugh like this. You just, it was just, it was an, it was an out of this world experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and see, that's the thing. Because uh, I had that before with a person that I made the audience really laugh, but not smart laugh the way he was and it yes. changed my life and that was bill you know what i mean that was bill hicks, bill hicks where you know i went on before him and then he came after and i'm like man it's not you know he's thinking about this on a level that i hadn't even considered that you should yeah you know what i mean like i thought just go get laughs yeah isn't this great which most comics do but yeah some people really carry a message yeah, but there's also a thing of, even if it doesn't have to be political or social, there's a way of carrying yourself, I think, and a way through your humor. It may only be on one level, but it could somehow bring people together or at least change their mind a little bit. Like my favorite comics, sometimes I disagree with them 100%. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? But, but it'll you stick. Admire the it'll it'll stick kick around you. and you're like, yeah, I guess I could understand where that came from. You know? And, and you know what? what? That's, yeah. that's, yeah. that's Sorry to interrupt you, Jeff. No, that's, no, no. that's great comedy, I feel. Yeah. Is I always say to people, my end goal, my dream is to get to the point where the audience are my friends. Right. Mm -hmm. Because that's what a friendship is. You laugh the most with your friends. I don't care who you yeah. are. Your friend will make you laugh with that gut laughter that, you know, where you're crying and choking. Sure. Yes. Your friend. <laughs> and you guys will disagree. You, you'll have the biggest fights, but they won't affect your friendship. You will argue yeah. on fundamentals, but it won't affect your friendship. You won't go, he's my funniest friend, but ever since he said that about the Republicans, I'm not with him. Or yeah. I'm, you know? And that's if you can get to that place with an audience where there's a level of honesty in the friendship, like people can your audience can say, no, we don't agree with you, but it's still funny right. or 
we agree with you 100%. And you find most of the time the reason you'll be together is because in most issues you agree. That's what, that's what makes friends. We share more similarities than, yeah. than anything. But you have those things that you disagree on. That, that for me is great comedy. You yeah. know, where the audience is not, they're not sheepdogs. They're with you and they're challenging you as an audience. You know, they yeah. go, they're, they're challenging you to sometimes go, okay, maybe I'm wrong, guys. Let me rethink that. Let me approach it from a different angle. Well, and, I think when you, when you yeah. enter that place too, when you try to figure out, um, why someone else thinks that way. Like, what point did you get, even if it's racist, sexist, homophobic, you're like, okay, instead of me judging you and calling you names, let's go back, let's recreate the crime scene. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, here's the information you were given, so what else happened? You know, because you can normally figure out this is why people feel, most of the time it's for some kind of self preservation, mm-hmm. you know? But I don't think anyone sets out to be wrong. You know what I mean? And no one sees themselves as the bad guy. No. Hitler no. thought, my God, I've done everything I could for everybody, and they still bitch at me. And he had quite an act. Yeah. He had quite. Well, a, he worked on that act for a while. You know what the thing about Hitler? You never seen him work in a small room. No. It was always, always big the biggest. Sta- stadiums. Yeah, he drew big, yeah. Very few comics. But I would love to just see Hitler in front of a, a, a brick wall with like 30 people. <laughs> a small see, bar, a bar show. Like, I'm sure a lot of people you? would like to see Hitler in front of a brick wall. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm not like, doing stand-up. Yeah. Why are you yeah. screaming? Exactly. Take it down a little bit but but that's you know you you're able to start and put that stuff together no and what you were saying is so true because that's how comedy changes people's thinking but it's got to be observational comedy which is very different and also you have to have the time on stage like when you're headlining and you get an hour yes Mm. To pontificate. To oh, definitely. Def- That's how you sway people. Difference. In a ten-minute set, it's very hard to do that. I that was the one of the hardest, the hardest things I had to learn was was the what is the what is your intention when you when you're on stage and your intention a lot of the time is limited by the time that mm-hmm. you have. So I had to learn that I couldn't in a ten-minute spot. My job wasn't to change anybody's mind. My mm-hmm. job wasn't to you know have some amazing little discovery revelation. Were, yeah, yeah, it wasn't about that. In that ten-minute spot, if there's seven comedians and we've all got ten minutes, my job is to make you laugh. Mm-hmm. I want you to have a great time. This is a comedy show, and we're all just going to have a great time together. When you come to my show, I want to make you laugh, but also let's share something between mm-hmm. the two of us. It's a, you know, like a, those little spots, I almost feel like they're, they're like a, they're like a sampler. They're, you know, you, you go yeah, to like a little taste. Yeah, a little taste of the flavor. Right, yeah. Just give you taste of the flavor. Like taste a of, spoon. They don't put all the toppings in. They don't go, this is, they go, no, that's, that's for the full show. For now, just right. taste what, what salted caramel is like, and then you'll, you'll decide whether or not you come back. How long have you been doing comedy before you got to that point, before that realization hit you? Was wow, it a while? This was, it was, it was almost too long. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's funny. It was too long. I think it was, it was maybe only two years ago in New York when I learned. Yeah. I, I literally went from doing a one-man show at, um, I was at the Bleecker Street Theater, mm-hmm. and I was out there for about two months running a show. And and it was going well. I was, I was having a good time. And then on one night, I left and I went to the comedy cellar to do a spot. Mm-hmm. And I thought, let me use the same bit. I'm trying to work this. And I went with the same. And the audience literally looked at me like, 
Like I'd walked into It's like I'd walked into Somebody else's family dinner On Thanksgiving And just walked in And then like started a speech Like out of nowhere I just walked into Somebody's living room And I went And that's why I believe That gay people Fundamentally And people are just like Who the hell are you And why are you here On Thanksgiving That's that's literally What it felt like And then I had to learn That okay there's certain things you can say, going back to friendship, yeah. that you can say because people know you now. Right. Yeah, they have to they trust know you why you're thing. saying it and where you're coming from. And that's that's a very important thing that you it's it's just it's it's a it's a relationship. It's when yeah. it grows, you now open yourself up to more things. It's like when you're dating, like the creepiest shit that you really want to do, you can't say to the girl when you first <laughs> yes. meet her. But then when you guys are deep in, then you go, yeah. well, actually being peed on doesn't sound so bad. Yeah, like, right. You know, but you know? of all rooms, the comedy cell—that's a hard room to crack. Anyway, yes, it really is. It, it really comes is. with a long history, and it's very—it's a very hard room to just break into. It genu you, genuinely yeah. is. I've—I've I've been told that, and I've—I've been very lucky in that. That's one club that's, that really welcomed me when I got here. Are you saying from an audience point of view too, Jeffrey, or from just an audience the, point the of view club. of what they expect? Yeah, and the people who perform there who. Who basically live there? All the big stars—they love that room, well, you, you and it's know, got a cachet you, yeah. to it. Oh, yeah, if you're a regular there and you show up and you're used to, uh, oh, here comes Jim Norton, here's Louis C.K., here's yes. David Tell, and, and then when you're like, wait, you who, there's a new guy. Yeah, exactly. you know what I mean. It's, an <laughs> it's almost offensive to the audience. Yes. Like, who's this new guy who thinks he can perform at the right. cellar? But What's he going to do? But funny you know? enough, I find the regulars are better. Where, where you really feel the pressure at the cellar is on the big nights, the Fridays, the Saturdays, the oh, because yeah. then that's when a lot of foreigners have come in, like like people from Australia, yeah. people from South everywhere Africa. in Europe. Yeah, <laughs> from South Africa. People <laughs> have come from all over the world to this world famous, you know, you know, like every club has its time. Sure. And right now is the seller's time. Mm -hmm. And people come from everywhere and they go, we've heard of this place. We, we heard that Dave Chappelle might pop up. We've heard that Chris Rock might pop up. We've right. heard that anybody might. So the whole time you, you can feel that anticipation when, they, when, they, when the host goes, this next act you've seen on, and you feel everyone like, is it him? Is it him? Is it, it's literally like, a, like you, you feel like you're one of a, like a scratch card. you like one of those lottery scratch cards. And all you're trying to do is be the scratch card that gives them like $20 so that they go, okay, I'm not that disappointed, but I was really here for the jackpot. You, yeah. just, you know what I mean? And it's like you don't want to have to apologize yes, when you got on yes, stage. Yes. I'm sorry it's me. Yes, I'm, I'm very sorry that I'm not who you were waiting for. And, and then sometimes you have to work harder because of that because they go, Okay, well, well, uh, with one more act, and then maybe he comes, and mm. one more act, and then maybe he comes, and you and you have to fight through that. So those nights I find are harder, but they can be the most rewarding because then an audience member goes, "Now I see why he's on the stage." So you're gonna you're, the goal is to balance your stand up with the Daily Show. Well, I think I found the balance already, yeah. which is great. I uh, like I have no fixed schedule. Mm -hmm. I you know I'm, I'm lucky enough. I travel the world, so. So if I'm if I'm in town, then we do something. If there's something that we really feel would be great to do, I'll fly in and I'll do it. But you know, I still live in South Africa. Um, New York is my comedy home. I come here and do shows, and I have a good time. But I could be doing tours in the Middle East. I could be touring the UK. I could be I could be anywhere. Which is really, mm. as any comedian knows, as any performer knows, the, the greatest thing to have is the ability to work when you want to work mm -hmm. and to work where you want to work. Like nobody. That should take that for granted. So I don't. Do you have to change your act much depending on what part of the world you're in? Like if you're in the Middle East or. You, you know, know what's funny is I've learned it's not material but rhythm that changes everywhere you go. Really? It's not. It's it's really not material. It, I used to think it was the actual material that changes, but it's not. It's just how you. 
Like New York has a rhythm. Mm-hmm. If you go to New York clubs, like there'll be like the hipsters have a rhythm, for instance. So if you go to like a lot of the, the Williamsburg clubs or those rooms, there's a very distinct rhythm to the way they tell their jokes. Uh, if you go to like a, let's say a Caroline's or one of the more flashy places, they've got a, a, a definite rhythm. Everywhere you go in the world, there's a rhythm. The UK has a very dry, very, very, you know, it, it's it's the rhythm more than the jokes. People think it's material, but it's just how you say So you things. adapt a little bit to each place or you realize it'll take them longer to catch up with you? No, I, I don't. I adapt in terms of how I tell you the same thing. I yeah. don't change my point of view. I don't change my opinion. Mm. You know, you but, change your delivery. Yeah, I just—it's just—it's such a small, slight thing that 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 you don't realize you're you're doing, and 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 if you if you're cognizant of it, it changes everything. Well, it's, you, bri- it's brilliant because it's the way to connect. You have to mirror. You're basically mirroring back the people that you're with first, yes. and if and, and at a certain point, then it also builds that trust and you could take them to other places oh well what what happens yeah. is you hope in time you get to a place where your audience becomes just that your audience right and then that's when you end up with the likes of like when chris rock is doing a show very few people are there going who is this chris rock yeah <laughs> what is this chris rock thing you speak of you know what i mean people yeah. know why they're there Mm-hmm. People know why they're going to Louis C.K.'s show. No one's going to go there and go, oh, my word, did you talk about jacking or what? What is this? Right. People know why they're there. That, that's your audience. But until you get to that point, it's referrals. Uh, my sister, yeah. someone sent me a clip. I watched five minutes of you on YouTube, so I thought I'd give you a chance. And I didn't know you have these views. I didn't. So until you get to that point, what you're trying to do is find your audience. You're a traveling salesman trying to get everyone. You're peddling your wares slowly till you get to the point where you're now a brand name that the way people go, no, I only buy Trevor Noah comedy. That's that's almost what you want. People who are musical can hear the difference yeah. in different countries. The way you imitate accents, you imitate so many accents. Yeah, that all comes, it literally all comes from music. Did all, you have that ability as a kid to imitate accents? I did. Accents? I, did. I yeah. grew up in a, in a such a mix. I had to learn how to, so for instance, if I speak, this is how I normally speak. Mm-hmm. If I speak like this to, let's say, my uncle or my grandmother on like so on the african side of the family yeah people just look at me like i'm like i'm speaking another language really because my english same thing on my dad's side of the family which is swiss they'll just go what what are you saying <laughs> so you have to you've got like these weird little accents that you have mm. to put on so people understand you and and then you, you you just find in time that every every accent you just you pick it up and you keep it and you pick it up and you keep it and you know so. I think it's amazing too that because of that unique background, it helps you bring a unique voice to comedy. Mm-hmm. Whether you want, whether you set out to do that or not, that's true. Just having both of those things there means I'm coming at a direction that no one else has, has come because nobody else has. It, right, it, exactly. it would be tough to bring that to American if you were African or if you were Swiss. Yes. It's difficult for either one of those people to translate. But the fact since you grew up, not translating just language, but emotion, tone, viewpoint, yeah. you know, you learn that probably at the same time you were learning to tie your shoes. That's you, yeah. you know, you learned how to be with people. And that's that's really unique and really different. Like I remember, I was in Lexington, Kentucky, and I met this um, I met this girl who I found out afterwards was a stripper. But um, she was a wonderful girl. She was at a comedy show, and she was she was just having so much fun. And she came up after the show, 
And she was like, she's like, oh, honey, she's like, you were by far the funniest and handsomest nigger I'd ever seen. <laughs> and now I wasn't offended because I'm not even lying. In her eyes, I saw no malicious intent. This girl wasn't trying to hurt me. She, right. was, she thought she was giving me the best compliment. And the comedians were with me. They were American. They were like, whoa, whoa you can't say that. Hey, hey, you can't say that. Right. And she was like, what? I can't say he's the funniest? And they're like, no, you can't say the N-word. Yeah. She's like, I can't say nigger. Well, what do I say? Do I say jigaboo? Do I say... <laughs> And now they're getting shot, and I'm laughing my head because I'm—I've never heard the word jigaboo before. Yeah. So I'm just like, "What is this? This is the most fascinating. This is the cutest racist word I've ever heard in my life." I'm—I'm I'm in a totally different world, and and because of that, I engaged her in a different way. We we sat for hours talking about what world she came from, how she would she would tell me she's like, "But that's how people talk out here, and this is how my family talks, and this is how she's like." I didn't mm. even know, and she asked me genuinely. She's like, "She's like, does it hurt you when I say nigger?" Does it hurt you? And I was like, well, it doesn't hurt me, but it hurts many people when you say that. And she's like, it's like, but, but people say it, and I, I listen to rap music. They say it all the time. It don't, it don't hurt nobody there. And you're trying to explain why. And, but it was so fascinating that if yeah, I, if I had dismissed her, yeah. if she came up and said that, and I said, get away, you racist bitch, yeah. she would have never changed. I would have never learned anything. You know, and now we both tackle it from the same point of view. Now you go, she has a little bit of insight, and I, I do as well into her world. Sure. But you know what? You have to have enough intelligence to have that conversation. You once asked me something. There was some cab driver driving around with a swastika on his arm, mm -hmm. and I was incensed by that. And you said, what if you sat down and talked to a guy like that? And I said, you can do that with certain people, but by the time a guy is wearing a symbol of hate on his arm, but do you it's remember? Very, very difficult. But to do you talk remember that he was a black guy? That was a black guy with a swastika with a on his arm. <laughs> so the madness factor <laughs> that he's promoting well, something that would have been but against now, him. But now, here's, here's the but, irony. But he's not it's smart funny. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to ask you though, mm -hmm. because. I don't know if you saw that story in, um, like, because you know, because you know that obviously, I'm sure you know the history of the swastika. Where in, like, for instance, in Indian culture, it meant something totally, something in fact, totally different. Long yeah. before Hitler, people were using the swastika. But I think it was turned a different way. No, 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 it had no, a different they, angle. No, no, the exactly exact, the same. The exact yeah, the swastika symbol, yeah. was yeah. used, mm -hmm. right? Well, I think it predates. It comes from like it was first used in Egypt somewhere. In fact, yeah. it was Egy Egyptian symbols. Mm -hmm. So Hitler, look, Hitler stole a lot of things and just used them. You know, you know. I mean, the mustache was Chaplin. He was. Yeah. He was. <laughs> Inspired by that, yeah. he now, was after cool. He yeah, was looking he, for he something was. that the young people would say that looks badass. And so, what's funny is, like you, you, you might find that guy as crazy as it sounds in your world, because we always work under the assumption that everybody knows what we know. Mm -hmm. You will be so shocked when you find that that guy from whatever country, because a lot of the cab drivers in New York are not from America, whatever country he's in, you find he has a totally different story of why he got that and what it means. Sure. And, and then you see it and you go, oh, swastika, Nazi, you Nazi black man. Yeah. Like, no, but it would be different. <laughs> it would be like driving through Harlem yelling out the N-word and thinking that nothing would happen to you. No, but you see, he It's such an insult. He was driving with it. Yeah, but if you think about it, visibly. he wasn't yelling it out. I hear what you're saying, no. but he wasn't yelling it out. It was, it's, it, it's, it's, it's different to that because when, if you're driving through Harlem yelling out the N-word, you are... You are doing it in a malicious way. Well, what if you're just holding a sign that has the N-word on it? You're not yelling anything. But now anything. the question is, why He's are you wearing... holding the sign? Well, why was he wearing a swastika? Well, he wasn't he wearing... Wanted you to... saying it was a tattoo. 
No, no, it was an armband. It was an armband. An armband, and, can... and, his, and the riders in his cab were very offended by it, and he wound up getting arrested because you're not supposed to put hate symbols out oh, to the definitely. public. Definitely, I agree with that. But yeah. did anybody so, ask him why? I'd love. Like, like, did I anybody think he was arrested? You're allowed to have a swastika in this country. Yeah, he was stopped yeah, by the will, police for some yeah, reason. Yeah, but the yeah. police will actually line up and let you express yourself in this country. We don't want to have a, a country that lines up people because we don't like their symbols, because that was what Germany did. No, but know? I think there is. Some rule about not putting out hate that that you're not allowed to. Uh, the KKK can walk down the street and if the they police, get a permit for their. For yeah, their, they and just the police that. will they back to, them up. I like how you like yeah. if they get a permit. Yeah. Yeah. they have so to apply. My problem first. was he did not have a permit for the swastika. The there was no you, visible but, permit for right. the swastika. That's the really you were judging <laughs> Jeffrey earlier yeah. the audience on political correctness, and there's your line. Everybody has like you can look That's at that because they don't want to hear the word pussy or cunt or whatever. But yours like. Wait, Nazism. That has to be stopped now. Yeah, here's something that'll, that that well, may, there, that, I don't. There are certain things where there are not two sides to the story. I don't see the good part of Nazism. I don't they, see. I don't think anyone could had, present here's that. A cra- to me. Here's a yeah. crazy story. For, uh, are, are you Jewish? By yeah, the way, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Here's a this this I like this blue. Uh, I was chatting to uh, one of the writers at the Daily Show. The random conversation that came up, but I was telling him about my friend Hitler, right? And so I have a friend back home in South Africa. His name is Hitler. And his first name is it? Yes, his first name really? is Hitler. Now, immediately when I said this to him, the first thing he said was, why would you name your child Hitler? <laughs> like, what kind of sick parent? Are you? And I was like, I've met Hitler's mom. She's just a normal, chilled out black woman <laughs> who, like, she grew up in a township in South Africa. She was just like, yeah, I'm going to call my kid Hitler. And then I, so then I thought maybe, maybe this was a, like a, a once or so I asked friends of mine back home. I was like, Hey, do you guys know anybody named Hitler? Some friends were like, no. One of my friends was like, yeah, I've got an uncle named Hitler. Like it's just, and I was like, why did he have that name? Why did they choose Hitler? And she's like, because during World War II, this guy was kicking our asses. South Africa was also fighting. Black and white people were being sent into the war. Hitler was, was, was winning everything. It was whipping ass. And then when kids were being born, some people were just like, yeah, like Hitler. He was just the, the, the guy who was winning the thing at the time. You must understand, the details of Nazism weren't filtering through to South Africa or Africa, for that matter. We just knew it was a war. Right. We didn't know what, we didn't get to watch the videos. Like, we didn't get the, 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 the pamphlets. We didn't know what Nazism was. All we knew was there's a war. People are fighting. We're fighting against them, and that's it. And but let's name we, our children the what, guy no. who's beating us. Yeah, but, but now think of it like, you yeah. see, as much as you think that's crazy, yeah. how many people named their children Henry after King Henry, who mm-hmm. was chopping off people's heads? You look at the Belgian king, uh, Leopold, who literally beheaded millions of people in the Congo. He was, he was millions of people he killed, and people still call their children Leopold. Mm. It's just that... In, if in certain places, and, and because of your personal experiences and what you're exposed to, some people don't have the full story. Some people don't have the full experience. Well, Leopold doesn't carry the weight of the name Hitler or Henry. And I understand the in example that you were yes, doing. Yes, in but, your world, well, he doesn't. In your world, does it? No, I will tell you, you now. If you think of Africa, the name Leopold, let me tell you something. In, in yeah. Africa, yeah. Hitler is not the worst guy you can bring that's, up. That's true. In Africa, Hitler is not like... He is, there's many guys where you're like, whoa, 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 they, they are much worse than, I'm sure, I'm sure in parts of Russia, Stalin holds more weight than Hitler does. Mm. Yeah, right? okay, but they're on a par. They've all killed millions of people. Yeah, but there's yeah, many, there's, but, there's, there's guys that have killed millions of people. In, in the point Africa, is that the British killed millions of people. So you've got to understand, like, think of it like this. The concentration camps were invented by the British. 
there were concentration camps in Africa before Hitler had concentration camps. So in an African's world, Hitler's a bad guy, but he's not the worst guy. Sure. You well, know what I'm saying? There are people in this country who lost their children because they named them those names. Do you know that story? Do you remember but that? But you know why? There, there are, like, I, I think they called their son Adolf Hitler and they're... They named all their kids after Nazis, and the children were taken away from the parents. But the you remember that? that? What, but no. what the reason no. for that was? What? Because working under the logic of America, they were going, living in America as a person of a, like just living in America with everything in your schools, you should, you know what you would, you knew what you were doing there. I promise you now, Hitler's mom, I've met her. She has not exhibited oh, any signs of Nazism <laughs> to me. Your Hitler's mom. Yeah, yeah, my Hitler. Of course, oh, my Hitler's mom. But I'm saying, I've met yeah. my, my friend Hitler. I've met yeah. his mom. And, and no, I don't even think she knows who Hitler is. Probably not. And as long as he you. stayed in South Africa, you probably have no trouble. If you were traveling around the States and introducing it yourself to tough. people, it would be a weird kind it's, of it's thing the same to do. Way when I was get in, a lot of girls. Yeah, when I was in, when I was in uh, Scotland, I met a guy who he came to one of my shows, uh, a Muslim guy from the UK, and he was talking about how he hates America. And I was like, why do you hate America? He's like, oh, because they, they don't want to give me a visa to come to their country. I was like, why? Yeah. I was like, you know, and I was like, is it because cause they're racially profiling? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, man, that's not cool. America needs to be more inclusive. And we had this long discussion where we both agreed on everything. And I said, you know what? It's not cool that America does this just because somebody's Muslim or they Arab and they look a certain way. Why would you do this? And I said, it was great talking to you. And he said, yeah, yeah, really nice talking to you. I said, oh, I didn't get your name. And he said, my name's Jihad. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I thought you were going to say Osama. No, no, no. Jihad, He's like, my, same, my name's Jihad. And I said, oh, wait, wait. What do you mean? Like, Jihad, like, like Jihad, Jihad. And he said, yeah, yeah. And I said, spelled like Jihad, Jihad. And he said, yeah. And I literally went, well, everything I said, I now have to take back because you have, you have to forgive somebody working in an office in America who gets a visa application from somebody named Jihad, which in their minds is literally what they are fighting against. Right. And now you, now, like, I was like, look at it logically. Imagine if you're that person in that office who then goes, hey, man, I'm not going to stereotype and I'm not going to discriminate against somebody just because they are called holy war which is what people are fighting against us right now i'm not going to restrict them from imagine if you're that guy and then god forbid jihad comes to america does something That's bad they, right? when they come to you in an interview and go how on earth did you not see this yeah. happen? It's coming, right? Yeah. yeah. And you go, yeah. well, how was I supposed to know that a guy named Nazi Jew killer would kill Jews? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. His name was murderous swine. And that's the crazy world. Yeah. That we, and I had to explain to this guy. And he was, he was still angry, but I was like, dude, I'm not even American, but I'm going, I don't know. I've met you now, and I see that you're a cool person, but... You're a p on a piece of paper, your name yeah, right. symbolizes... It's a little off-putting, right? Exactly. <laughs> because in America, jihad has a very negative connotation. In the Middle East, and, and to most Muslims, jihad really means the daily struggle. That's what it means. It right. really means your struggle that you face by yourself with your religion and, and just trying to be a better person. But now, because of Islamic terrorism, jihad in America is not a nice thing. No. So if yeah. you walked around in America going, my name is jihad, people yeah. go, why on earth would your parents name you Jihad. Right. Just dealing with the exactly. jihad. The daily jihad. That's me, man. Jihad race. Trevor, no, what a, a great experience to get to, to meet you, man. Thank you Congratulations. so much, Congratulations. Uh, the Gotham Comedy Club, Friday through Sunday. Well, only, only Sunday Late Show has tickets. Sorry to interrupt okay. you, but there's no, there's everything sold. Uh, of course it is. great, so... We uh, added one last show Sunday night, late show, if anyone fantastic. wants to join. Sunday what time? Sunday 10 p.m. That's the only show available. Cool. 
And, of course, one of the uh, reasons that The uh, Daily Show has been so successful and so cutting edge is they know how to go out and find the good guys. And uh, looking forward to more stuff with you Thank on you The Daily much. Show. Thank you for Tre a great chat. Trevor, Noah, see you next time coming through, buddy. More on, more fans. This is the best of Ron and Fez on Raw Dog. Comedy Hits, Channel 99. The bits that were marginally better than the rest. You're listening to the best of Ron and Fez on Raw Dog. Comedy Hits, Channel 99. The Ron and Fez Show presents the funniest people of all time. This is David Allen Greer and Tommy Jonigan. Well, well, well. It's the Tommy Jonigan. Good to see you, pal. It's been a long time. Tommy Jonigan's going to be uh, at Levity Live tonight through Sunday in West Nyack. That's and place. his Comedy yeah. Central Half Hour airs Friday, June 13th. Yeah, that's all right. So sorry I'm late, guys. How you have you managed? Have you don't have to worry about a thing. I, I, I want to say it was a sign of I'm uh, from the Midwest, uh, and I got taken advantage of. Not It was not disrespect to the show. What, how, how come? Uh, what happened? I feel like I just look like a guy you take the long way with. Yeah. So I feel like that's what happened, and I don't know enough. Where did, where did you come in from? Astoria. Uh-huh. To here. Yeah, yeah. And that's a, I would say, 10-minute train ride? Yeah, yeah, literally ten minutes. I got on a, I got in a cab. Oh, I'm such a, uh, I'm afraid of. Uh, okay. What are you afraid of the subway? Not afraid, but yeah, yeah, yeah I'm afraid of the subway. Here's what I'm we... 31, and uh, the subway it terrifies me. But there's women that ride the subway. What are you worried about? A subway crash or, or getting no, raped? no, 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 getting what? Uh, getting uh, uh, wrong way, get it going completely yeah. wrong because these trains go forever. I don't know where. I don't know what happens if I mess up, how far off base I can be. But you would just get off the subway, and you walk around the other side, and you ride back the <laughs> other the way, and you're fine. You know what I mean? It doesn't end, and that there's nothing there. Yeah, I mean, maybe if, I mean, for you people from the city, you can do that, but... We stay in this dimension. We are not traveling <laughs> through other dimensions. Not even a transfer from Astoria. <laughs> Oh, straight really? Shot. No, it's straight, straight shot. shot. Yeah. Uh, there yeah, are it, the mold what, people what, to worry about. Um, so It took about 50 minutes. Are you staying with somebody in the story? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing shows tonight, so I got in yesterday uh, and stayed with a friend. Now, you're in Los Angeles, California now, right? Yeah. Home of the Doors. That, to me, is a confusing place, and yet you're fine. I'm fine with that, especially because uh, I, I GPS in my dash. Yeah. If something goes wrong... I hit home and give up on all my plans and circle back. Mm. See, L.A. confuses me because there's no center to it, and you're never out of L.A. Yeah. And then you're like, like you could be driving in L.A. and say, "Can do you know where this place is? And people will go, no. Well, no, it must be in L.A. somewhere. Now that I live there, the best part is someone goes, hey, where, do you live in, I live in Los Angeles. And they're like, do you live in the city? And I just want to say, wow, you've never been. Because you asked that, so we should stop now. Right. Because do you live in the city? It doesn't even mean anything in Los Angeles. No, it doesn't. Los Angeles, to me, feels like you're driving through North Jersey, and you end up in Long Island, and there's nothing in the middle there. Nothing's holding us. Yeah, nothing's yeah. holding it to get together. We were talking about, I don't know why it wasn't built on the ocean. There has to be a reason for that. It wasn't built on the ocion? Why the city? the city center isn't 
butting up against the ocean. That's really an interesting point. Like so Miami, you should be ports, New Orleans, yes. That's where you build your city around. And yeah, it's and just downtown LA doesn't make sense. Yeah, when you're at Long Beach, you're just like, okay, there's a port here, but then there's nothing around that. Yeah. It seems like someone built L.A., and someone didn't tell them how close to the beach they were. Mm. Like a the guy, they just sold a bunch of permits to a guy. He's like, how far is the ocean? They're like, I don't know, it could be days. But we haven't I, even seen it yet. I wonder what if the city, you know, back when it was doing, it was more of an ag- agricultural and even cattle city, right, at first. So maybe oh, that, that I don't was, know. Yeah, that maybe that was their full point, you know. Like, got to keep like away a, from the water. Yeah, they were like cowboys. And, like, if you ever notice, you never see a cowboy swimming. You'll never hear, like, you know who's a good fucking swimmer? That yeah. cowboy. It's just like they don't. Like Not some, in the ocean. Yeah. On a river. They will? He, he, they'll, they'll slink those boots off in a river. Don't they bathe in rivers? I just see them, like, putting water bathe in, in their river. hat and then down their back yeah. with it. You know what I mean? Like, I know they'll splash themselves clean. From a horse trough. Yeah. They, they fall in those a lot. What's that? They, f- they fall in those horse troughs a lot. Oh, yeah, definitely. I thought you had a, a mechanical problem there. No, 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 no. Uh-huh. I uh, did not. Uh, I just look so like I do. you got your half-hour comedy hour coming up. Yeah. This is my idea right now. Do it all now as a giant fuck you to Comedy Central. <laughs> uh, what are you doing? You just gave away that material talking to your friends? Uh did a half an hour feel enough for you, or did you feel You know, like... I did. It's the second one I did. I did yeah. one in 08 or 09, mm-hmm. and um, a lot of people are doing hours now. Right. And I do, like when I'm at Levity Live this weekend, uh, I'll do that, that amount of time. Right. I just liked the idea of doing a half hour. I said no to an hour mm-hmm. uh, because... Um, I think ideally uh, I'll do one in a few years and I'll just be a better comedian and right. then also maybe uh, be a bigger name comedian, have a TV show where I can sell out uh, a theater. If I did an hour now, they would say, yeah, let's go do an hour. And then they would just email some casting lady and then they'd fill the audience with some of my fans and some people who don't even know what comedy is. You know, but here's the thing about the whole theater thing. I, did you see a Tell's last? Yeah, it was great. And did just clubs? Yeah, it's great. It's a better place for comedy as a club is a better place than a theater now i understand from your point of view you make less money that night yeah you know it's better to have more people paying but there's something about a club that's a lot of guys jump theaters early my goal is to do the clubs until you get there and they're either like we've sold out every show before you got into town we added a show so if you you know you do six shows you sell them out and you're there for three days but Mm -hmm. you can make that you can make more money than you would in a theater, but it's in three days. Right. Or in a small theater. Yeah, and a lot of theaters have like union deals and shit like that. You're yeah, you really gotta pay get, for the guy selling the Snickers. Yeah, you're getting a lot of uh, extra prices that you don't uh, have to deal with in the club. The, the downside on the half hour is they own it forever now. Mm. No matter what happens, they can air that and sell it. Right. And I've seen my money. Yeah, that's done. that's yeah. You're you're ending up like one of those Brady kids. Like, wait, <laughs> this is still going on now. Yeah, yeah, this is still happening without me. I somehow got the Three Stooges lawyer to negotiate my contract. <laughs> I don't even didn't even know he's still you around. Did you see the late in life Three Stooges where they, you know, all post stroke? I don't have any of my own money, and I know that everyone watches these shows. It was very sad. I, I uh, Mo was the most depressing because yeah. he seems to be the alpha. Right. And he, I saw him at a point where he'd given up on everything. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, see, the thing is, he's only the alpha in his little crew. He never, you never saw him fucking stand up to other people. Yeah, On the yeah. outside, those guys would take off. They would just start running when yeah. shit happened. Go, go try that uh, that two finger thing in the eye in the Bronx or whatever, <laughs> and see what happens. <laughs> So you're doing well, but you're a family. You're a family man. I got a little baby a now. And yeah. A girlfriend and a baby. 19-month-old baby. A girlfriend and a baby. Yeah. Sounds right. Yeah. Just it saying it. 19 months old, though. That's... Walking and talking. Yeah. It's a person. A real person. She, we can have conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, she can be rude. She's, already, she's got to that age where she can be a rude yeah. person, so that's nice. I think that's a development... For humans, when they realize oh, yeah. being rude is a power over someone, I don't have to be pleasant. I don't yeah, have yeah. to please people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, I love it. I love having this baby. Um, but I'm not home every day, so I feel like I, I can understand how someone could hate it if they didn't get to leave for four days at a time. So, as if we were giving out letter grades right now, as as being a father, where would you be? What would you it, give me yourself? as a father? Yeah. Oh, uh, I mean, just because I travel, I'm probably in a B and uh, B minus. Yeah. Because they travel and then uh, I don't know anything right. about, I just know, which I don't feel like I should have to, I think it's not polite to say, but if we go by nature, I'm not, it's not in my bones to, to know how to care for the baby. Right. As a man, it's the spread the seed thing. Right. And as a woman, it's a nurturing thing. So you start now to, to me, sound like a low B. <laughs> See, the thing is, too, this is the only times that you can really score some good grades yeah. because the baby isn't old enough for you to go, you know, make a giant fucking mistake with advice or anything. Yeah, I like worry that. about the mistakes we make now. We've, we're big on organic food yeah. with the baby. I eat, I eat anything that's, out, you know, I don't care how they made it, I'll mm. eat it. Uh, with my baby, I, I feel like an asshole. Ask you don't have to. I pick up some chicken at Whole Foods, and I'm like, "Is this is this organic?" <laughs> and then because I f have the feeling, I immediately go, "It's for my daughter." Uh, <laughs> and then I, I just keep digging this hole. And yesterday I bought salmon, and I asked if there was any GMOs in it, and realized I don't even know what GMOs right, are. I asked they if they were in bad. it, yeah, and didn't even know if it could have been a thing that they only put in Turkey. It could yeah. have been a thing that somebody made up, but I. Had he said, yeah, there's GMOs in that, I would have been like, you know what? I'm not going to take this not salmon. Do it. I'm big into no parabuns right now. Yeah. Don't even know what it means. Being a parent, I've never been a sucker more than any point in my other. If you put no or there's none added and add a word to it, mm -hmm. I'll pay $9 for it. Now, what point are you going to start thinking about schooling? 19 my girlfriend already is. Already, my girlfriend already knows the high school she wants our kid to go to, so she's figured out the private uh, uh, middle schools and grade schools that feed into that, which means we need the kindergarten and preschool that feeds into that grade school. Right. So she, we've already applied. She's doing classes with this with our kid uh, at 19 months old mm -hmm. at this preschool a year and a half before she's even eligible to get in, so she can get in and then essentially go to the right high school it's changed so much hasn't it? like this stuff and you think it's not important but it's oddly important to today's person today's person my yeah. girlfriend is an ivy league chick like okay. she went That's a whole different thing. she's like a big when she was in the fifth grade she's older she's uh, older than i am so there was no internet when she was in the fifth grade she 
called all the Ivy League colleges and had them mail her pamphlets, the the literature. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. <laughs> and had it stashed <laughs> under her bed like yeah. porn. Yeah. And at fifth grade, she would get out and read about Harvard and uh, knew it in the fifth grade. She, I didn't know that I wanted to go to college until I graduated high school. My friend said, where are you going to college? Mm-hmm. And I was like, where, where are you guys going? Right. And I went to the junior, junior college, which isn't even college to some people. And yet that was... We had a, a kid in our school went to college, made the paper. Everybody <laughs> came down. You know, we were all waving them off in the train. This fucking school band came down because everybody went. We're going to go directly into the factories, and our life will yeah. be set. It was considered the best. What do you What do you want, Chris? You're trying to hand me something. David Ungers. Yeah, bring him in. Okay. You know David Ungers, right? I've never met him, but I know Phil. of him. Yeah. Um, we'll pick this up though, and I'm sure he'll have opinions because he plays a principal. In a school now. A new teacher show. Yeah, he's in uh, The Bad Teacher that airs Thursdays on CBS. Hey, brother. Nice to see you again, man. This is Tommy John again, very funny comedian in L.A. We were just... uh, We were just talking about schools because he's a father now. And now that you're, in my opinion actually a principal because yes, you play I this i do play one uh, on tv you know maybe you could help him out a little bit well how old is your kid how 19 old? months old well you got time just cool out okay man where do you live um uh, miracle mile in los angeles i ask because you know in new york city is crazier the um private school thing is much crazier yeah. do you really want to get into this i pay so much money for this oh my we were yeah. we were already cool. looking at uh, uh i'll say the number I, yeah. it's not a uh, it's a it's a stupid thing the the preschool is uh, like sixteen grand plus donations. Oh yeah. yeah, and I don't get the donations. I'm like, here's my donation, sixteen grand. <laughs> yeah, I'm not donating. Well, here's no. the thing: the, with the donations, is a way to you to make sure that you get your kid in. That's true. In New York City, you can't get into all the preschools. Your child could have their first failure, their first turndown yeah. at two, three years old. And they're really interviewing you. They say we really encourage. <laughs> our parents to yeah be a part just, of uh, be a part of our family yeah this yeah. preschool is run by one woman which to me means you just blackmail one person Mm-mm. right you just need some information on one person but what is it about in. her do you think that she like everyone has their trust that she's put together the best preschool because famous people actors yeah. Uh, yeah. comedians david allen greer people put their kids in there and it gives it status and then okay. it gets to feed into these other ones okay. my daughter went to a hip preschool i mean yeah. johnny knoxville he'd be in the car okay. for us. what's up johnny hey man what's going on um who else was there a lot of hip cool people but here's the thing rock do stars you, do you feel better that your child was playing with the jackass kid. You know what I mean? Like Her mom does. She's yeah. like, you know, I don't know. You I mean, know. Hey, Tito Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Can our baby have a play date? It's all about the play dates. It's Tito. Yeah. It's Johnny <laughs> I didn't say A-list. I said, you know, yeah. in the ballpark or you know, whatever. See, here's the thing. Would you want your kid to go play at Johnny Knoxville's house well, you know, without thinking they're going to be diving down the I, steps? I don't. My daughter's six now, so it's yeah. a little better 
her, but when she was really young, I just didn't want her killed or maimed or murdered. So I, I really was very nervous, you yeah. know, very nervous. Um, but for famous people, it's mostly the parents that want to come over. They, it's not the kids. It's like, right. yeah, yeah, I'll bring her over. <laughs> yeah. It's like, whatever. No nanny stuff. They want to see where you we have. We have an, my kid doesn't have any poor friends. I don't like it already. Wow. It's, my kid only has friends with families that have nannies. Mm. See, that's where L.A. is different than New York, because no matter how rich you are in New York, you still got to mix it up. That's Everybody true. ends up in this, you yeah. know, on the same sidewalk, in the same subway. Well, so on the train. Yeah, when you're on the train... You know, the kid still has to know how to deal right. like any street kid. Our nanny is the poorest person in my daughter's life, and my daughter boss is her boss. Yeah. yeah. So that's not the way you want her to grow up. Can I give right. you some advice? Be yeah. nice to the nanny. Oh, yes, I love they her. could write a book. They could, <laughs> yeah, i got to get one of those agreements. Yeah. Especially Schwarzenegger's. <laughs> now, here's the, uh, here's the thing, too. Do you think, like you guys are both concerned about your kids and their yeah. education at an early age, do you think your dads once gave a thought, what, how's my kid doing in kindergarten? No. I'm not going to dawn on that my, generation of men. I only care yeah. because my girlfriend cares. Yeah. She, it's whoa, so whoa, important whoa, to her. Whoa. Girlfriend? What, yes. What yeah, about? I have a baby with my girlfriend. Faster child. Oh, I got to go. I do not approve of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, What's going on with child? you? Uh, we, we, we think about getting married. I just don't want to marry Thinking a chick that has it? a baby. Right? And right? stretch marks. <laughs> I agree right, with that. Straight out of the act. When I got married, you know, we were together for a long time. We... She got pregnant on purpose. You know, we planned our daughter, and then she said, "We'll get married, and then we'll have a honeymoon." And I'm like, "That's not a honeymoon. That's a trip with a baby. Right. It's a difference." So you had you had your baby before you got married, also. She had her baby before I was corralled into marrying her. Oh, yeah, yeah. But so you're not taking full responsibility. No, I love my daughter, and yeah. I, and there's no greater joy than when I drop her off and her mom goes in on me. I'm like, see you next week. <laughs> I did it. Yes. I'm done now. I'm a good right. dad. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, like weekend dads, because they're the ones that are at the go kart place. Oh, I don't. Yeah. I don't even know what to, to be a good dad. I have this debate. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm traveling uh, for stand up, but I'm home so much. And when I'm home, I'm home way more hours than right. a working dad. And in my mind, I'm like, what do you have to do? You don't even have to do this much to be a good dad. My dad wasn't around. I still love him. Yeah. Uh, right. I got a stepdad. I love. You can. Whoa, whoa, I could whoa, just whoa. not. Do anything. Flag on that. You have yeah. what? I have a stepdad too, and I love this it's, guy. Yeah. So my mom's divorced. Can you, let me ask you something. Are you all right? No, I'm, I'm totally fine. <laughs> I don't know you. <laughs> I don't know you. I hope you feel honest with me. The stepdad, uh, he didn't ever, you know. No, 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 no. Everything's um, cool? Is it appropriate? Everything's cool. Okay, cool. I just this is an appropriate question. You gotta ask. You gotta ask. I was in a movie about uh, this child molester. It was called The Woodsman. And I took this girl and I was like, oh. yeah, you're going to love this film. And she got really quiet. I'm like, this is a crazy part. <laughs> I'm like, what's wrong with you? And she said, it just reminds me of my childhood. And I said, you're crazy. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, it was no nookie that night. That, that's why I won't uh, talk too long with Teddy Dancers. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> story. Let's just yeah. keep this thing going. Yeah, you know? uh, I don't do the strip clubs anymore. I used to, you know, when yeah. I was younger, two or three years ago. But um, I don't. I find it boring. Don't you? Uh, you know, no, not yeah, yet. You're <laughs> not at all. No, not at all. Yeah. No, no, no I am. Uh, I'm never going to suggest it. If you suggest it before the question's done, I'm saying yes. I've got a, I've got a handful. Of, I'm ready. At any moment, I'd go right now. You would go. Yeah, yeah, for a little bit. 
Uh, Bad Teacher airs Thursdays on CBS, 9.30. And then you're playing that uh, the Baltimore Comedy Club, May. Well, you know, who can't uh, love Baltimore? Yeah. The Comedy Factory? Uh, the Factory, the Museum. I just have listed those, as Baltimore Comedy Club. Very generic. Yeah. yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a, I it seems like they may have just built it for your weekend. <laughs> Perhaps. This is a possibility. You're already... Comedy Factory? Comedy Museum? Comedy Gymnasium? What? I don't know. It's comedy something over there in Baltimore. Well, I hope you know before you get off the plane... Me too. It seems oh, like you can't just tell the cab. Yeah. Take oh, me to the comedy club. Take me to your yeah. local the comedy, comedy source. It's happened one time. My agent—he's no longer my agent. He goes, uh, David, what are you doing this week? Nothing. Well, there's been kind of a mix-up. Can you get down to Orlando? I'm like, no, because <laughs> he booked me in a club and never told me. And I'm like, that's your fault. I'm not going down there. Can you get down to Orlando? Yeah, we don't work together anymore. No, we don't you got to. Now, Tom Waits used to do a thing to keep his life interesting. Whatever town he went to, he said, take me to the hotel named after the president. So he would always, <laughs> I'm at the Roosevelt Hotel. It's always kind of a men's hotel that have those presidential names. Well, I loved Tom Waits. I must have seen him at least five times yeah. when I was in college. First came to New York. Love, love, loved him. Yeah. Many, I, last time I saw Tom Waits was in Largemont Village in L.A. in a Volvo station wagon with kids in the back. Oh, man. I was like, dude, really? Tom Waits? He's a dad. Yeah, he's a dad. Yeah. It's all behind him now. It is. And, you know, at one point he played the piano before he just started banging on pipes or whatever he's doing now. Well, I saw him do a solo on a cash register. And when <laughs> yeah. I was, this is in Ann Arbor, Michigan, I was like, Get so right cool. up. I know that song, too. <laughs> yeah. He just sits there and just pounds on a yeah. old cash register. Until my white friend goes, you know, he comes from a middle class white family. Like yes, dream killer. Now I know. He was now, a bum. He was born on a train. <laughs> he was a hobo. Where do you use the term hobo? No, it doesn't get used much. It doesn't. It no, doesn't. I still use homo, but people correct me all the well, time. You can't say that. Yeah, you can't, you can't say, say that. that. I, oh, I heard like I was on Love Line, mm-hmm. and a guy called up, and he identified himself as a man who has sex with other men, and I was like, "Time out. That's gay, right?" <laughs> oh, David, why? That's why are part. you so hateful? I'm yeah. like, that is a definite. <laughs> You're like, they don't like to use that term. I'm like, okay. okay. So you can't say no, it. It's done. That's out. That's out yeah. the window. Well, how do you, you refer yeah. to yourself as a man who. I refer to myself as a man who what? I'm, I'm asking. Yeah. I mean, you well, I've never referred to myself as a man who does anything. Okay. That's right, never go. come up in so my life. Sexuality <laughs> doesn't play into your life. No, no, just I have a I have a girlfriend. I feel like that establishes. But well, no, he just open. had a baby. So yeah. I think maybe you leave he's everything that. open. I mean, if you met the right guy. You know, uh, I don't think so, but you know, I'm I'm young. It seems like it could happen. Look at Shelby. Oh boy, that dude. <laughs> See? See? I, mean? I mean, that could turn people. Shelby could turn people. I gotta rotate people my chair. You done it before? Wow. <laughs> Did you just say I've done it before? Turn people? Or? Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant the act itself. So, uh, St. Louis, huh? Yeah. That's yeah. yeah, uh, uncomfortable. Hey guys, good seeing you guys again. I'm uh, so proud now. Okay. Okay. Hey man, good good luck. You too. Thank you. Do you have a Do you have a son or a daughter? I have a daughter. Daughter, yeah. 
girls are the best. I didn't want a son. I yeah. didn't want to see me in you know a child's face. You no. know what I mean? I agree. Bruce Willis just had his fifth daughter in a row. Oh, I think boy. it's the way to go. I would say four and a half. I've seen that one with the big jaw. <laughs> That's just, you know what? That's his little girl. Guys, you know? this man is funny. <laughs> yeah, <he> is. <laughs> it's Bruce Willis' daughter. A rumor? <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, you knew the one. I, I now would, we've I named would, her. Dave, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't. I, mean, I, I love my daughter. I love being a parent. I really mm. didn't expect that. Uh, so, you know. That's all. Just you know, women never say. I never thought I would like this, but it's good. <laughs> well, they can't. Well, my ex-wife did about oral sex, sex, uh -huh. uh, kissing, <laughs> just being around me. You know, those at a certain point. Three main areas. I've had my fill. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am. Enough is enough. <laughs> just push the plate of David Allen Greer back. Oh, yes, boy. yes. Been uh, there, oh. done that. Oh. <laughs> yes, yes. But you, uh, you're holding off, and you don't know when you're going to get married. We don't even know if. It doesn't scare you. Marriage, I, just, I don't believe in it as a thing yeah. anymore. I think it's, it's, a, it's an old thing that we should move past. But I can't change society. So yeah. if I feel like at some point my daughter's going to feel like her family isn't stable, we'll get married for my daughter. For no other reason. And your girlfriend's with not, your girlfriend doesn't make any kind of crazy No, she's, she's anti-marriage also. We, we, I found someone who uh, agrees in the, it, if we didn't have a baby, we would never even have thought about it. How long, can, may I ask how long you guys been together? Four years. Mm. And does she, does she, what does she do? She's a her? television executive. That's a pretty good deal. You Money. Should, you should get married. Independence. Yeah, you, you should want to lock make that sure Because I heard you've got down. a room just for your cigars. Not yet. Mm. Oh, boy. I have a tiny box for them. <laughs> oh, boy. Just you like, need a room? Yeah. That's a lot of cigars, dude. <laughs> I'd love a room. Take a look at them all, just stroll around. I have a wine so, uh, te yeah. tequila closet is really <laughs> what it is. But, That's um, more of a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Not to me. I'm gonna say I take tequila. sips of all the bottles every night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to sit in the tequila problem. Uh, problem. No, it's the tequila wow, problem. Wow, yeah, it's really... I'm going to go sit in my alcoholism <laughs> for the next hour. <laughs> oh, come on. So judgmental. I have a yeah. little uh, cupboard... That's right. It's it's a door. It's got my cigars and my booze in it, mm -hmm. and it's right next to my daughter's door. Right. So I have this uh, moment every time I'm quietly taking the childproof lock and opening it. I'm being quiet so I can get just drunk in my home, but Boys I have to be cigars. quiet. Do you have a next favor. to that door? You got the booze in there. You got the cigars. Just throw in a gun. Just <laughs> <laughs> as weird as possible for the kid. I don't. I used to smoke cigars all the time, but yeah. you know, I don't call me. I'm not you know judging you, but you know, I just would never want to smoke around my child because I just love and cherish her too much. I wouldn't <laughs> well, that's me. That's you know. That's me. Nice. I, your world is your world. You I don't believe in marriage. I, even know, you know. I, I don't believe in marriage. Um, uh, I don't smoke around my daughter. I mm. feel like dots are being connected. Don't smoke around the daughter. Yeah, okay. But the, the cigars are kept near her room. I think it's already fine if you smoke around the kid anyway. <laughs> I grew up in a... <laughs> our school was surrounded by so many factories, and there was a smoke. Some days on our recess, we weren't allowed to go outside because of the pollution. And I'm uh, <laughs> fine. I'm fine with but wait, it. Wait, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I yeah. grew up in a time when smoking section on a plane yeah. was a sign. Right. And they smoked from row 10 forward yeah. and 11 back. There was no smoking. Yeah. But that's where it was. So the good seats were smoking? Yeah, the good seats were smoking. But you, but you understand, there was, and we thought, oh, they're smoking over there. We won't get yeah. killed. But no. 
If it was like this, if you want a bitch of smokers, sit in the fucking back. That's, yeah. that's what the airlines felt about it. My dad smoked. My yeah. dad smoked in the car, you know, and he'd be smoking. You know, you kids. Well, when he was there, when he was present. But uh, it was like that in my house. He quit. Like, he yeah. went from cigarettes to cigars to pipes. Pipes were the coolest. Right. Because they smelled cool. They smelled like yeah. cherries and stuff. And he finally quit. But, yeah, it was the 60s, the 70s. We just, yeah. it was out there. I mean, it's, yeah. My dad smoked Pall Malls, just unfiltered Pall Malls. Wow, that is a man. One after the other? Yeah, just one man. after the other, going, God, what did I do wrong? What happened? That is oh, a dead man, yeah. but that is a man. His name was like this. Yeah, I remember what happened. Fucking World War II. That's what happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never, I smoked cigarettes when I was in graduate school, but I never enjoyed it. It was not a big deal, but I do smoke cigars. I smoked cigarettes in elementary school, but we would share the cigarette like a joint. Like we would. Let me ask you something. Yeah. Did your parents never get married? Because <laughs> <laughs> are you a bastard child? No, Catholic. Oh, oh interesting. Catholic. So you yeah. you did it the good way. Yeah. Okay, just checking. I did it the way that Jesus and, and George you. Washington yeah. wanted us to. Thank still. you. So the way I should do it is get oh, married no. and then oh, no. divorce. Oh no! <laughs> I, what are you saying, sir? Why well, saying if, if we're the taking, eighteen months I had were rocky. You know Not what? all good, but we were together. Don't, you know something? This doesn't need to be confrontational. You know what I mean? What These are three buddies yeah. sitting around discussing. This could be a show right here. Yeah, but last you time know? I was here, you didn't have young gun comic who's going <laughs> to take him down. Right, that was the thing. And you, know, you were welcome. Yeah. Hey, old black guy, we have a black president. <laughs> Come on, man. God. Uh, Everybody's on your side. But do, like, do, yeah. we, do we seriously have a black president? <laughs> well, half, half black. No. Yeah. Not for long, though. You know? Yeah. That's, that, his term is about to end. So. Then we'll get what well, we, we get a woman, wanted, a white woman. Then we get a woman theoretically. But yeah. you know, when we I go, go back to white, uh, yes. So you can, you, we can't for, jump into black woman. Yeah, I'd say for seventy-five to hundred more years. We're, right. Yeah. The streak ends. But wait, you know, when I when I perform around the country, one of the questions always I go like, "Hey, are you guys ready for Hillary?" And to the T, boo! No, there's always two right. like in San Francisco, Berkeley chicks who clap vigorously. Yeah. So but I'm not feeling according old. to the funny bone poll. Oh, Hillary is not funny bone, dinglings, and yeah. chuckalucks. Yeah. Well, I mean, I find it interesting because when Barack Obama first became elected and that 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 rush to that final election, you would say Barack Obama. It was like damn near a standing ovation. Yeah. So. Yeah, it is the yeah. you know, Dingling's Comedy Club, but I don't sense a lot of excitement. No, I don't know if we'll ever have another president of any kind now. Like, people are just exhausted with arguing back and forth. Well, Boehner, he's of what yeah. color is he? He's tan? Yeah, he's kind he's... of orange. Yeah. If I had to pick a color, yeah, 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 it would yeah, be orange. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't know if we need presidents anymore. Maybe we just go at our side. We should just have a dollar sign sitting in that chair <laughs> and just really accept what's happening. That would be a great just religion so where we just sit and just... Oh, that religion's yeah. been here for a while. Yeah. We have another religion. We have the draft, the NFL. That's a religion, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, across the street. Across oh, the street. What's happening? Nothing. They're sitting in a room waiting for you to choose a player you know nothing about that hasn't yeah. done anything. and they I'd rather watch bingo. I really would. I think How it'd did be they more turn exciting. this into an event? I'm they like have. super amazed. It's too crazy. It uh, it's also an event where uh, for weeks now people have been talking about who's going to be the thing. It's ESPN is now in just Fox News or CNN. Where now I have to sit and listen to you guess at a thing that I'll know. I'll know for a fact 
in oh, in two days that you're right or wrong. I'll just wait the two days. Very ESPN. Hey, guys, let me throw something down on the table. Michael Jordan, greatest basketball player ever. <laughs> what if he played football? I'm throwing it to you guys. He's in the draft. We know his record from his basketball um, career. He's not 50. He's 22. Go. Who's going who's gonna to draft him? Uh, you know what's With, great, though? People get paid to do that. What you just did Yeah, that. but it's not like, job. okay, yeah, Muhammad Ali is never going to fight Mike Tyson. Shut up. <laughs> I don't know. Fight of the century. You're just constantly oh. asking to tweet and hashtag, and you just want to look at your TV and say, "I'm tired. I don't. I want. I don't want to be Dude. active here." Well, think about it. If you ever went for a job or an audition where, okay, you played your season that's on tape, then you did a day where they just audition you, then you came in for a private meeting, mm. then they did a sit down, then they did a psychological test. This is what the NFL yeah. is now. They, uh, this, the Michael Sam one, that's going to be the one that's going to get them through. There's three days of it now. That one's going to get them through the tail end of it because generally people stop watching. Right. But Michael Sam, that's once day one's done, they'll shift to Michael Sam getting drafted. You know, before the combine, they thought he was going to go high. Right. He's gay. And then they went to the combine, and he ran like a gay guy. I mean, he really... <laughs> what does that mean? Hands like what does this. that mean? Well, you know, his hands were up. Well, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, you seem like a great guy. Um, I think Michael Sam is not his gayness. He did come from a family. Apparently, his parents didn't get married. They just had a baby, you know. And the father did smoke cigars. That's all I'm saying. That's all. I love comedy. He That's what happened. happened. He, before he was gay, he was the top defensive player in the SEC, those guys go first and second round. Everybody right. thought that Michael Sam's going to go first, second round. As soon as he said he was gay, they immediately, without saying because he's gay, he's not going to get drafted, <laughs> right. they were like, you know, you think he's a little slow. He's maybe he's maybe a six-rounder. <laughs> he became awesome. slow all of a sudden. I don't see it. I, 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 yeah. I don't like him. <laughs> but I don't mind the gay stuff. I don't like him. This not be the first time that a gay guy got picked last. You know what I mean? Like, but, but think of it like happened. this. Manti Teo. Do you remember him? Yeah. He was in love with a fictional <laughs> chick. He yeah. was in love with a dude. <laughs> On a computer, yeah. Right. Yes, but wait. He is totally matriculated. Yeah. He is pretty good football career, and you never hear about him. Yeah. If you would have told me that two years ago, I thought he would be killed by his teammates. I never predicted. We never hear about him. There is no controversy. He immediately got injured as soon as he went to the Chargers. David, okay, well, maybe I was wrong about that. I um, would uh, keep you here forever, but you got to go because you're going around and pushing bad teacher. I do. Thursdays, CBS, 9.30... And uh, I'll see you next time coming through, yeah, all right, man. buddy? Always good seeing you, Always good seeing you again. Nice good to meet you. I hope the man. show goes well. And thank you. And invite me to your wedding because I want to. Yeah, that'd be great. It depends on what preschool your kid yeah. went to. Yeah, we get everybody. We got to have a really. He goes to Tito preschool. Place. It's going well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I'll see you guys. See you, man. Bye, bye. Always fun, David Allen Greer. Bad teacher airs Thursdays on CBS. 9.30, and he'll be just playing the Baltimore Comedy Club. Pez, do you mind if I take the water you gave David Allen Greer that he didn't open? It's all yours. All right. Why didn't Tommy get a water for himself? Was it because I was late? Okay. Let's see how that could happen. That was very funny. Oh, I appreciate it. That was very uh, funny. I um, couldn't tell if uh, he w- uh, actually liked me. And I couldn't tell if I liked him. Well, here's the thing. 
there's always that thing of when two comics are in the room together, they can't stop circling <clears throat> each other. No yeah. one's going to attack, but they just want to say, look, if I had to, if I had to, I mean, I'd this, be fine. this goes roast. If this goes roast, <laughs> I want to let you know. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know I'm not married. Yeah. That's that's the one you're going for. But that is his thing. That's what he does. But I've never I, seen his act. He seemed like a nice guy. He's very funny. Um, you know, he's got a great acting career as well, though. You know, like, yeah, he looks good. Yeah. Money, money, people with money. Don't crack. That's what they say. It doesn't crack. Yeah, yeah. Where whites crack, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm already whites. cracking. Whites crack. If I had to, if you had to guess how old you were. How I well, how, how like by you feel when when Chris Stanley wakes up in the morning, how old does he feel? Forty five. Shit. Forty five? No. Maybe sometimes it's fifteen, other times it's seventy five. You know yeah. what the thing about you is you can play young. Yeah. I could probably get you in the Porky's reboot if I wanted to, but as the weird kid that no one likes. I'll be like 40, one of those 45 year olds still playing high school. Well, the weird thing about you is you look young and old. Like, we could took, take your face. It, break and, it into pieces. Yeah, break it into pieces and put it on tap dancers, like old 1930s tap dancers. <laughs> I was in the role, like the running for Benjamin Button. Not many people know that. I didn't see it. Is it good? Is it a good movie? Eh, yeah, Okay. Brad Pitt got it instead of you. Yeah. yeah. What's he? Came down to the wire. We should uh, we should break. Uh, why don't you just say these things? I see you're hurting a jerk. You made me so nervous before David. You kept doing this. I know. Face. I so fucking waving. made a bad move. What are you doing? Robert Kelly is here, and uh, we should take well, a break. That's going to be more circling. Yeah. I, I think he, he and I know, know of each other enough that it'll be nicer. But I uh, know that was really nice, by the way. Okay. David, I don't agree. That went really well. You didn't enjoy it? Um, I didn't enjoy because I didn't know how I was doing, and I also didn't know if there was a, if there was a, a he he made it where, and I I'm really bad at not yeah. hiding when I don't uh, like, like someone. somebody. Stand by for more of the best of Ron and Fez on Raw Dog. Raw Dog Comedy Channel ninety nine. This is the best of Ron and Fez. Ron and Fez on Raw Dog. Raw Dog Comedy Hits Channel ninety nine. Show presents the funniest people of all time. Continues next. Well, 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 look at this. Giving us a call today. Big comedy star, Tom Segura. Tom, good to talk to you, buddy. Hey, how's it going, Ronnie? It's good to hear from you. What's been up? Not a whole lot, man. I had to call you because I had just the most... Uh, amazing uh, show last week, last Thursday, in the great city of Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. And um, two very different people at the show. It's just so outrageous. There's no way I couldn't call you. All right, who who uh, was there? Well, one was uh, former heavyweight champion of the world, Mike Tyson. What? Oh, damn. Just coming in to watch stand-up? No, no. That's the That's the crazy part. But the other one was um, Shelby. <laughs> Shelby, you were hanging out. You were hanging with Mike, Mike Tyson and Tom Segura. Yeah, we're all just, we're bros now. Now, by the way, why wouldn't this hey. dawn on you to tell us immediately? Like, <laughs> yes, first day back. Come on. Well, because I, I can tell you why, Ron. Yeah. Because uh, of those two guys, guess which one didn't say hello to me? 
Get out of here. Shelby. That's right. Shelby, why wouldn't you say hi? Hung around the uh, merch table a couple minutes by a, a very early train ride the next morning. Oh, come on. I didn't on. know if he left or not. So now, what was Tyson doing there, Tom? Okay, this is banana. So, I'm leaving Wednesday for more, for morning press Thursday. And you know, like, sometimes you just, you, you get your ticket and, you, and then as you get closer to the date, you're like, so what's my morning press tomorrow? And... On Wednesday, I, I ask, and they go, oh, we don't have anything set up. And I'm like, why the fuck am I going out a day early to do this shit if I have no press in the morning? Like, well, we have press Friday. I'm like, so I don't need to go out. So I'm super pissed getting on this flight to Pittsburgh from L.A. I sit down across the aisle, one row back is Mike Tyson. Everybody boarding this flight is losing their fucking minds. Like, <laughs> Like, people stop as we're boarding, and they're having full conversations. Like, I remember in 88 when you fucking dropped your left hand in the second <laughs> and, like, and I'm sitting there. I'm actually like, I think it's cool to see them, but then I'm like, I can't believe how these people are acting. You know, like, they right. cannot keep it together. So it keeps going, it keeps going. It takes literally an extra 30 minutes to board this flight. He's super gracious to everybody. I don't say shit to him. A um, few hours into the flight, I'm like, you know what? I never bug people, but I feel like there's not a lot of chances to meet. Like, he's iconic, you know? I, yeah. I, I can't let it slide. So I just go up to him. I don't want to bother you. I just want to say I'm a big fan. And he, he grabs me with his, like, bear paw. And, and he's like, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And I go, yeah. I go, so what are you, what are you going to Pittsburgh for? And he says he's promoting a fight. And he goes, what about you? I go, I'm a, I'm a comedian, and I'm just going to do shows. And he goes, where? And I said, the, uh, the Pittsburgh Improv. And he goes, where's that? And I'm like, <laughs> dude, I don't know. Like, <laughs> like, I don't have the address memorized. And he goes, is your show tonight? And this is where it's 1145 at night on, at this point on the flight. And I'm like... <laughs> I'm like, dude, no, we're, we're in the sky right now. <laughs> so he goes, uh, when do you do your show? And I go, well, it's, it's a full, like, Thursday through Sunday at a comedy club. And he goes, where is it? And I go, it's the Pittsburgh Improv, like I said. And he goes, how do I find it? And I go, I don't know, man, I guess Google it or something. And he goes, I go, how about just Google my name? And I give him my DVD. And I go, here's my name. Just Google it, and it'll come up where I'm at. And he goes, okay. So I sit back down in my seat, and I figured, like, that's it. That's the end. That's the end. And then I, uh, like, two seconds later, I hear, Tom. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> what's up, Mike? And he goes, were you on television recently? And I go, nah, man. He goes, you sure? And I go, yeah. I go, well, I'm on Netflix. And he goes, Netflix is amazing. <laughs> And I go, yeah. He goes, what's your favorite show on Netflix? I, go, I don't know, man. I like House of Cards. Uh, I, go, I go, I watched Breaking Bad on Netflix, even though it's not a Netflix show. He goes, my wife likes uh, Breaking Bad. But he said it like, you know, you like shows that my wife likes. <laughs> like you're a bitch. Absolute bitch. So then he just like, he kind of nods, and I turn around. 
then I said, but you know, I, I turn around, I feel his a hand on my shoulder, and he's standing above me, and I'm like, holy shit! He leans down, and he whispers in my ear, "I've been watching a lot of Netflix." <laughs> shit. That's it. That's all he says. <laughs> and like I. I literally I never thought that that sentence could be terrifying. Anymore. I was so scared. I was scared that he said when he said it. And I was like, what the fuck, man? And he goes, that's why I recognize you. And I go, what? And he, he holds my DVD. And he's like, the picture on the DVD is the same picture on Netflix. And I go, yeah, yeah, that's the picture. And he goes, yeah, that's why I recognize you. And he goes, give me your phone number. And I'm like, what? So I give, I give him my phone number. We land, I get off. I still think this is over. I'm like, that was a crazy exchange. This is over. The next day, Thursday, I'm sitting in the hotel. I look at my phone. I have a text message from Mike Tyson. And do you know what it says? What? Where's your show? (laughs) So I'm like, dude, the Pittsburgh Improv, where's that? I fucking Google it myself. I send it to him. Two seconds later, the phone rings. Hey, Tom. Like, what's up, champ? And he goes, uh, we're coming to watch your show tonight, brother. And I go, that's amazing. And he goes, yeah, we're going to watch your work. And I go, I go, that, that's, that's incredible, man. Thank you. And he goes, uh, it's all love. But he said it, you know, like, I feel like that's like a black dude expression. Right. Like, like white guys don't say like, yeah, man, I'm, you know. I'll see you tonight, Ronnie. It's all love. Like, it's not a fucking sentence, you know? So he said that, and I wanted to reciprocate, though, like what he was saying, but I was nervous. And I just go, uh, I love you. (laughs) 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 And it's just like silence on the phone. He just goes, good luck at your show. And he hangs up the phone. (laughs) And then that was it. I was like, oh, that's it. I fucked that up. I just told him I loved him. He's not coming. But not only did he fucking come, as soon as I finished the show Thursday, I'm walking to the back of the showroom. He grabs me. He's like, let's go to the green room. And then we go to the green room. And he fucking hangs out for like 40 minutes. That's madness, man. Yeah, but but like I said, the other guy, Shelby, he, he didn't. Well, Shelby's a big fucking star. Shelby's, you know, got his own way of dealing with things. But, you know, I think um, I think Tyson is hanging around with Norton. Because I, I know he's done Norton's... He's done the Vice show. He's done the Vice show and stuff like that's that. That's right. Yep, that's right. I saw I saw a piece of that. Actually, the funniest thing is I remembered I was watching some of that, and uh, Dana White was on that episode with Tyson. Yeah. And Dana said... <laughs> He said, Mike Tyson is like Justin Bieber for grown men. Right. And I was like, dude, that's, that stuck in my head. And I was when I was watching it, I was like, that is absolutely what's happening right now. Like, grown men are acting like children. Uh, when <laughs> Tyson out. won the fucking championship, this is how the world has changed. I saw it at a fucking arena with 10,000 people, and we were just watching the TV. Holy shit. And it was... Really? It cost big money. It was like 45, 50 bucks at the time, and it was over in like a minute eight. It was insane how big Mike Tyson was. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was talking to one of his assistants, and he said when they were in China, China of all places, that the the customs guys, like the guys that are... 
having people detained and fucking shot, uh, they left their post to see Tyson so that civilians were then passing through customs without being checked because the customs agents left their posts because they wanted to go take a picture with Mike Tyson. That's crazy. Yeah, completely nuts. All right, Tom, I want you to call me back after you meet Larry Holmes. I want this just to be Tom Segura's boxing stories. <laughs> I can't wait. I yeah. Can't wait. I'll be doing it for sure. All right, pal. Good to talk to you, man. Stay in touch, all right? I love you, man. See you soon. Peace. All right. All right. Bye. Tom's going to be love. Tom's going to be at the Funny Bone in Columbus all this weekend. That's the 14th through the 17th. Go to funnybone.com for tickets. You where, never know where, who's going to show up. Where is it? Where's it's, that? It's in Columbus. But well, what's the address? You can Google it. I really like Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> that was my favorite. That was my favorite part of the story. I really like Netflix. Why would you fucking blow a Tyson hang, you idiot? I, I, I thought that you'd think there'd be a bigger... I guess he like went into the back. I thought they both probably left. Really oh, fucked this up. Yes. Up, moron. You're the worst. Why don't you say what up to Tom right. Segura? Don Geronimo uh, said he wanted <laughs> to invest into it, and his wife talked him out of it. Which... You know, short-term term was an awful thing, but long-term, way to save that money. Oh, hell yeah. Boy, I would never feel safer on a plane if I, uh, than if I saw Mike Tyson sitting there. If anyone Safe? was, Yeah, if anyone was, like, rushing the cockpit, I would think Mike Tyson is there to start knocking out terrorists. All right, are you very familiar with the legend of Mike Tyson? <laughs> if anyone I would worry about rushing the cockpit, it's Mike Tyson. He's the one that's <laughs> off kilter times. He's got the fucking face tattoo. You know Mike Tyson, right? Did you see the one man play on HBO? <laughs> God, I love that thing. Oh, it was great. I loved here's what I loved about it. How structured it was. It was so incredibly memorized that I was cracking up doing that. Because you expect Tyson to just go up and tell Tyson stories. But he had learned a script. Yeah, it was a timeline. It was Yeah. And it was like, and then he would just, you know, he would be like walking along and he would be telling like an amusing story. And then Tyson would go, you know, because all women are cunts. And you're like, what? What? Oh, when he was talking about the rape? Yeah. He like kind of glossed over it. He only said a few <laughs> things about it, but it was fucking nuts. Was, yeah. <laughs> that fucking bitch lied. Like, it's like, that was it. That was pretty much huge applause. Everyone lost their shit. <laughs> like all oh, bitches. <laughs> what? Wait. <laughs> Yeah, Mike. Yeah, you tell Mike. Yeah, I was um, I was in with O A one day when he uh, when he came in, and um, you, you, it's one of those things that where you're just looking at him and you're like, that's fucking Mike Tyson. It's crazy. I I you know watched a lot of boxing growing up because boxing was like gigantic, so I'd seen Ali fight on TV and you know Frazier and Foreman and Sugar Ray and all you know there was the, the middleweight division in the 80s was fucking unbelievable you know Sugar Ray would be fighting Tommy Hearns and um, and then the No Mas fight I mean it was just always ex excitement like Super Bowl level excitement when it came to these fights this is the best of Ron and Fez. Ron and Fez. Oh, Ron, 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 Ron
Hits. Channel 99. You know when sitcoms do clip shows from previous episodes? Yeah, well, it's kind of like that. This is the best of Ron and Fez. Ron and Fez. On Raw Dog. Comedy. Hits. Channel 99. The Ron and Fez Fez Show show presents the funniest people of all time. This This is Unmasked unmasked. with one of the most successful TV actors of all time, John Cryer. writes books now. Yes. I just I, I toss them off. And they got a couple of weeks. So yeah, I'll throw out a little something. <laughs> the people how, might enjoy it. How how weird is it to sit back and look at your life and then come up with the stories that make the the book? Uh it's it's super strange cuz you, your life life isn't uh life isn't a story. Your right. life is uh, your life is your life, you know. <laughs> Shit just happens to you and it's like, "Oh, okay, that was my life, I guess." Um uh, <laughs> and so when you're writing a book though, you have to you have to form it into a narrative. You have to make it into a story. Uh, and sometimes that's easier than others, you know. And for, for me, you know, my uh, I started uh, making movies in the 80s, you know, as a teenager, which was a very cool time to be making movies because they were just throwing movies at teenagers. You, it was like it, all you had to do was be a teenager. They'd give you a movie. Yeah, sure, you're in, you know. Uh, and uh, and I was lucky enough to look like Matthew Broderick, who they were throwing <laughs> throwing movies at right and left. He couldn't and I th- a couple of them just missed him. And I was like, ooh, I'm in a movie. Uh, so... Uh, so I, so I, I got very lucky very early and got a chance to, to perform and, um, and, but then, you know, my life took so many weird tri- twists and turns in terms of my career that, uh, I realized that, um, you know, they, they were really just an escalating, uh, uh series of, 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 of weirdness, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, culminating with uh, how crazy two and a half men went uh, right. in, in the last few years. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and so I was forced to sort of look back at that and see, and really ask myself, why did that happen? Uh, and, uh, and hence the, 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 the book. But did you start to feel like an arc to your own life? Was there um, yeah, yes and no. You know, you become as a writer, you become aware of what you're imposing on it. Uh, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, uh, uh, because little, there's little niggling details that you're like, yeah, yeah, toss that out. Nobody needs to know that because uh, <laughs> that doesn't quite fit in with the story I'm telling right now. Uh, but uh, uh, but I I don't know. It doesn't it, it the, the, the second you, you make your life into a book you're it it's 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 not you anymore you know that's that life and now i'm i guess i'm now living the next book welcome to my next book right <laughs> yeah. you're it it's about yeah. all of you people well, that starts here for these people yeah well you know that's what i was thinking when i was reading this you know because you you have kids but there's going to be grandkids and great grandkids who will read this and great great you well, know that's assuming my children are fertile yeah uh, that's that's I, a big assumption yeah. uh, i choose to okay in this thank case. you thank you in for this assuming case. my children are fertile <laughs> i, I thought about it. that a lot okay but uh, <laughs> oh gosh but i hope it... not <laughs> i hope not uh, but wouldn't it be weird for you to read something from your 
great grandfather that he laid out all these stories <laughs> where he talked bed. about the prostitutes and stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I've been getting a lot of flack. I just. Yeah. I'll, I'll read you guys the 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 dedication. Because what happened was, I, the, I in in the in this course of writing the book. Uh, I there was a time when uh, when Charlie Sheen and I both happened to be single at the same time dangerous. when we were working together, um, which, as you said, is is somewhat <laughs> dangerous. And as you may have heard, he's kind of a he's a he's a proponent of the <laughs> prostitution industry. Uh, uh, and so uh, and so, you know, I figured, oh, well, why not? You know, um, and while while my uh, uh, dalliance uh, in that in that sphere led to uh, comedy, uh, <laughs> uh, his didn't. But I put it in the book. I, I wrote about it. And then the, the publisher asked me, well, you got to write the dedication, you know. And I was like, well, of course, I'm going to dedicate it to my kids because I love my kids. And someday they'll read it. Uh, so I wrote uh, to my beautiful children, Charlie and Daisy, uh, please don't read the part about the prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> so, <yeah>. Hopefully. <laughs> I have a feeling that <laughs> that may be what they go to first. Sure. <laughs> after reading that. Yeah. Um, well, you started Kid Actor even before you were a teenager. And like a lot of New York actors, you went up to the mountains in the summer. Oh, yes. And uh, it's amazing the, the, the spot that you went to. I went to a camp called Stage Door Manor. How many people came out of that? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it, it has. Uh, oh, at the time, it was like meatballs, but <laughs> uh, uh, but theater. You know, it was like mm -hmm. Glee and meatballs put together. <laughs> right. And because uh, uh, it was all these these little, you know, 11-year-old Jewish girls from Long Island playing Evita, you know, <laughs> and uh, uh, which a role that they many of them were actually very well suited for, I have mm -hmm. to say. Um, uh, but uh, uh, but it, it was. It was, it was a ridiculous place, and and the and this was the late seventies, early eighties when uh, camps then were a lot more, shall we say, laissez-faire. <laughs> uh, uh, they they didn't uh, uh, just madness happened because uh, uh, because of meatballs. Everybody, you, you wanted that counselor. You wanted Bill Murray as your counselor uh, who just let you, you know, I'm going into town to buy a jug of wine <laughs> that I'm going to drink tonight even though I'm 12, you know. Um, and uh, but now none of that happens because, uh, you know, pa what parent right. <laughs> would send their child to that camp? But then that was what was kind of cool about it, uh, which is amazing to me. Uh, but it, but what was uh, what was also amazing was that the, the graduates ended up being people like Robert Downey Jr. and Natalie Portman and Zach Braff, who was on my plane the other day. And I, I was scared to say hello. Uh, <laughs> Uh, he was sleeping. I didn't want to wake him up. Uh, but uh, <laughs> um, and and uh, so you and and you really felt it. I mean, there was the 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 because in in, in while I was by I, I wasn't a great singer uh, or, or even much of an actor at that point. Uh, uh, and but you could see these these uh, like Leah Michelle went to that camp and you could see these people were amazing, astonishing talents at the age of 12. Uh, uh, you know, and and that and they're and they're still learning. You know, they're, they, they're going to get better from here. Uh, uh, and so it was it was remarkable to be among those people, uh, and it, it was a, it was a big deal in my life. And th at that point, you're like, there's no turning back. There's something about yeah this. Even as a kid, 
you know this was yes it, I, I, was I, it. I felt like I had no choice that I had no marketable skills uh, <laughs> and most uh, children don't yes <laughs> perhaps uh, but I I took a very clear-eyed assessment <laughs> of my resume at 11 and yeah. uh, <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> I just felt that um, uh, you know it, when it grabs you and that the, the, the I was initially uh, in the theater world and mm-hmm. that's what really grabbed me because it's very flamboyant and and ridiculous and oversized and dramatic uh and that's fun that's just mm-hmm. fun uh and show business is like that but with a lot more money uh um so i went that direction <laughs> and, and uh uh you know and and it's been you know it's been it's been a bumpy ride but that gives you something to write about in books sure that that is the amazing thing i think that people just look at you and you know between movies and tv it looks like blessed, and it is. But in between the blessings, some really, well, yeah, yeah. Um, well, uh, most of my own issues, you know, I'd love to blame it on others and, mm-hmm. and say I was abused, and that's why my career took a dive. Uh, <laughs> but it was not that. <laughs> I wasn't. Uh, uh, it was. Uh, uh, I, I I made a lot of mistakes. And that, that was, uh, as an artist, you know, I was always exploring things. Like in the book, I talk about the fact that after Pretty in Pink, I was like, I want to prove to people that I'm a great actor. And I'm Sean Penn. I'm going to be, I'm going to transform into Maggie Thatcher. I'm going to be somebody <laughs> else. I'm going to, you know, uh, and, uh, and who cares? Nobody wants to see, I don't have to prove that to anybody. You know, it's like, it would I, 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 but I had this thing in my head that I wanted to be. And, uh, and it resulted in like four movies in a row that just tanked. Just awful things, you know, and uh, well, not awful. Some of them were pretty good, but uh, uh, but but you know, I I I I, I and I managed to make a, a total hash of my my TV career as well, and all through just I, I always was following some weird thing that I wanted to do, and I guess that's a blessing because you know uh, you know as an artist I got to do what I wanted to do, and um, but I'm I I I tried to learn a lesson along the way. How how much doubt though happens in between the success? Oh, I'm I'm doubtful now. I'm <laughs> I, uh, uh, I'm serious. It, 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 that never goes away. And I, I, I up until we were shooting the finale of Two and a Half Men, twelve years we've been shooting this show on a Friday night. There is no reason, no, there's no earthly reason to ever be nervous while you're shooting a sitcom on television. A multi-camera sitcom is shot in front of an audience. Um, and you want to do it well, of course, because they're all here and they're live human beings in your in your studio, and it's lovely. It's a it's a great <laughs> give and take. But what's great about shooting in front of uh, an audience in a sitcom is you can fuck up, and they like it even better. <laughs> they laugh, and then if you curse, oh my god, it's the best thing that ever happened. Uh, um, uh, you know, Kinshata Farrell, who played uh, Berta on the show. Um, would she would agonize about getting her lines right? Um, but the biggest laugh she's ever gotten was when she was like, "Oh shit!" You know, Berta <laughs> 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 just said shit. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so at any rate, uh, uh, there's no earthly reason to be nervous in that because even when you screw up, they like you. So I, I but yet I managed it just because I wanted to do it right, mm-hmm. and uh, and so. F- I, I think it's just inherent to who I am that there is this this fear, and I've been lucky enough to find characters that make that fear work. Uh, uh, you know that there's always an innate 
nervousness. I, I, another thing I sort of discussed in the book is I realized at one point I was doing a, a, a sitcom called uh, Partners years ago for the Fox Network. And as we were shooting the pilot, uh, the camera was on me uh, just for the very first shot of the of the scene. And the woman doing the, the sticks, the clapper loader, it uh, 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 it malfunctioned because, you know, there's a little timer on it. that And it malfunctioned. And she was like, oh, wait, wait a second. And she was fixing it. So the camera was just stuck on me, just looking blankly at the camera. And the audience started laughing <laughs> just like that. Uh, and, and I did nothing. I was just thinking about some of my lines later in the scene. And they started laughing and then they stopped. And then I started laughing more. I started laughing, and it became this huge roller of just my face was apparently hilarious. <laughs> uh, and I, I realized that, there, that there's something inherently ridiculous about me. Uh, and that's fine. No, that's great. Uh, you know, it's, it's great as a performer because it, 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 obviously there's something that people see in me that I sure. guess is a mirror or something that they, they understand. Or fear? No, I <laughs> there's no fear, <laughs> um, and uh, so I I feel lucky to have that. Well, don't you think like the really best character actors know what that is about them? You know, I I always look at Rob Riggle, and he plays mm. this asshole so well. Yes. Oh my god, that part of it must be him, and then <laughs> he knows it, and yeah. <laughs> I can turn it on. When he wants to, yes. You know? Well, like like Stephen Colbert uh, yeah. is 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 brilliant in that he knows to a T with that character he did for for years on the Colbert Report. He 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 knew exactly how to construct the dynamics of that character. To but but you know you think it's it wasn't just um, instinctive. He wasn't just like yeah I know what to do. He could articulate every every single part of that dynamic, and I and that was a, a really impressive thing. I I don't know that I can do that. Mm -hmm. um, but I have some awareness of it. But you know that your anxiety is funny, where some people just think anxiety, worst thing in the world. Yes. You have a way of sharing that with people. So we all go, oh, I get I get anxious. Yes. Enjoy my anxiety. <laughs> Revel in my anxiety. It's for you. It's my gift to you. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the other thing that, that you managed to harness is the fact that people think that you're gay mm. and you, you can use that. And, <laughs> yeah. Well, in certain bars, that is, uh, that is handy. I have to say, get a couple of free drinks, you're good to go. Um, well, no, I, I was, there was a time when I was, you know, concerned about it mm -hmm. only because I didn't have to be gay and I wanted to date women. And so I didn't <laughs> want to send out that vibe. Right. Um, uh, but I was never, you know, worried about it because, I, you know, when you grow up in a the theater, it's just, it's the culture. It's part of the culture. So, you know, it wasn't like I was like worried. I'm going to, oh God, I'm going to be gay. <laughs> this is terrifying. Um, uh, uh, but I, I did realize early on that I sent mixed messages because my, because as, as you know, my normal way, I have a whole chapter on how I sit uh, because my normal way of sitting is like this. <laughs> and that's how I sit, you know, but that sends this, you know, it looks like I'm hosting a PBS show or, or something. And, uh, and, and so, uh, uh, but it wasn't until I saw a photo of my dad um, when he was young and strapping, also sitting like that, <laughs> but he 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 got over my dad, yeah. uh, and and I, I it, so I went. Wait a minute, this is just this is our family. This is just what we do. This is how we sit, uh, and it sort of changed things for me and made me much more comfortable 
with the fact that this is just this is just me. You know, I'm not I'm not a super masculine person. And actually, recently uh, uh, on the Oscars, uh, if you recall, Graham Moore, uh, who wrote Imitation Game, uh, 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 accepted the, the Oscar and had this lovely speech about how, you know, stay uh, stay weird, everybody, you yeah. know, and everybody assumed he meant be gay and be proud of it because he was clearly gay. <laughs> and uh, and and turns out he didn't happen to be gay. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, he's an effeminate heterosexual <laughs> dork, just like me. <laughs> we have to start a club. Yeah, <laughs> we have. to. Well, Paul Schaefer's in. Yes. But, uh... <laughs> Love it. He's founding member. Founding member but isn't that always funny like you'll be watching guys like that and they're always like and then my wife you're like oh yes. <laughs> okay marty short yeah, you're, yes. uh... yeah. oh, so <laughs> wonderful i um yeah you know I, I i'm sure people have that with me sometimes yeah. I, but but okay you know my my wife doesn't have that so <laughs> if you know what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> silly to point that out nope. <laughs> Uh, but you uh, even found that that people found that about Ducky. They thought that the reason that Ducky didn't yeah. end up with her. Well, yes, this was a yeah. whole thing that was totally lost on me. I that that a lot of there was a lot of people who just assumed Ducky was gay, and and I was like, wait, what? I I wasn't I wasn't going for that. Uh, uh, and that that one of those people was Molly Ringwald. Was that was disturbing? That was very strange. Uh, and she because she had. Uh, uh, when I was cast, she said, "Oh, okay. Then, then he'll he'll be the, there. Be he's the gay best friend, and they they he'll come out years from now." And I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> um, uh, and I uh, and I watched it again oh. recently, and I was like. <laughs> Yeah, maybe, you know, uh, 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 but no, I, I, I do not believe Ducky was gay. I believe he was an effeminate heterosexual dork like me. Right. And he should have got the girl. And, and well, yes, yes. Uh, uh, I mean, the, the original ending of Pretty in Pink, and I talk about it in, in the book is that, that, uh, it was that, um, uh, Ducky shows up at the, uh, at the prom when uh, when Andy Molly Ringwald's character is very nervous to show up, you know, because she she confronted uh, uh, Blaine, played by uh, Andrew McCarthy. Uh, uh, you know, what about prom, Blaine? What about prom? Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, she confronted him, and now she's showing up. She's gutsy because she's a gutsy little poor girl. <laughs> and uh, and I show up, uh, and uh, the original ending was that uh, that we were supposed to come into the prom, and the prom was supposed to stop. Because that's what happens when the poor people enter the prom. <laughs> and uh, the prom stops. And uh, we get hit in the spotlight. And we do the spotlight dance. Now, how come the spotlight operator suddenly says, hey, wait, there's poor people. Let's, let's zero in on the poor people so that they can do this dance. At any rate, uh, we, uh, we dance the moonlight spotlight dance uh, to David Bowie's heroes. And that's the end of the movie. So the idea is Ducky and, and Andy get together, you know, and uh, uh, and they played that in a test screening and it uh, it flopped uh, their people booed. Uh, you know, people rarely boo in test screenings. There's a certain amount of, you know, there's a certain amount of polite. Yeah, well, they made an effort, you know, but not just, whoa, boo, boo. Uh, so, uh, they decided to reshoot it, uh, and make it so that she, that, because they decided the audience invested in the relationship between, uh, Andrew McCarthy and Molly Ringwald. And, uh, and so they, 
they uh, they reshot the ending as it is now. Um, and I have to say, on some level, I feel bad because I, I feel like I felt like you know maybe there was something the matter. Uh, the, I was just so un. Uh, inherently unattractive that that they couldn't the audience just could not abide the idea uh, of us being together um uh but <laughs> uh but i also got that that you know that that character falling on his sword the way that he does at the end it sort of gave him a noble way out and you know and 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 t- there are there are still ducky partisans to this day for whom this is a very passionate uh, thing they feel very very strongly well, about it. Also, the the that ending, if she goes off with Ducky, it fights against the mythology that the girls were raised with, which is Cinderella. Yes, right? so, that's true. Th- that's so true. Whether mm-hmm. or not they understood the movie, mm-hmm. you know, there is like, oh, she's poor and she's going to get that handsome prince. And then what? That guy's not a handsome prince. He's an effeminate heterosexual dork. Well, That's not like, how Cinderella ends. I, I don't guess, think. Yeah, like if Cinderella ran off with one of the mice. Yes. You know? <laughs> yes. That, you're right. <laughs> I want to see that movie. I want to make that movie. But that was pretty mm-hmm. crushing to you mm-hmm. at the time. Well, yeah, I felt badly about yeah. it. But you know, as I said, I, I think it was. It was good for me in the long run, right? Uh, and uh, and you know that that should be the worst thing that happened to you right, in sure. your life. You know um, that your your ending gets recut. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I don't know if that's happened to you guys, right? But, <laughs> it's a bummer. <laughs> well, Ducky was pretty cool though. I mean, he was hanging out with Dice Clay. He had yeah. his own look. Yeah, you know, he, yeah. He was very all right. memorable look. Yeah. Uh, so you went through the eighties. And you know you did a John Hughes movie, kind of, kind of feel top of the world. Yes, at that point. Yes, uh, yes, I would go out uh, uh, night clubbing yeah. in the eighties as a young star. Ah, uh, ah. Uh. It felt great. <laughs> it was great because I'd gone from the guy who was, uh, uh, you know, hanging out with, you know, with the bouncer for a few hours while all the girls went in uh, to that was my lo- actual life mm-hmm. to the guy who goes in. And I remember uh, uh, first gorgeous girl who ever like uh, the movie had been out for like two weeks and uh, um, and I met this gorgeous woman at a club uh, and her name was Dawn. And she spoke really slowly. <laughs> um, she dealt Baccarat in uh, uh, in Atlantic City, uh, and uh, and I was like, "Oh, this is this is my life now." Um, and uh, and we had we had a date that was one of the most excruciating things <laughs> because when a girl talks slowly, it's just it it took forever, it, uh, you know, and uh, uh, and. And I realized that, uh, you know, yes, it's a it's it, it, it really only is a conversation starter that you're uh, yeah. that, uh, that uh, you're in a, a John Hughes movie. It doesn't actually close the deal. And particularly sometimes a very slow conversation yes. starter. Yes. <laughs> with someone who was probably on Quaaludes. Yes, but it could be. You were too could young be. That would know. explain a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so at that point, though, do you feel like I got it made and it's going to stay this way and life is good? Forever, or is there the nervous feeling? No, you'd be right. Yeah. You'd be very surprised very quickly. The nervous feeling of yeah. okay, what's next? What's the next thing I'm going to do? Comes in, and then you're like, wait a minute, I'm going to get robbed of feeling great and talking to the slow talking girl. Right <laughs> <laughs> now, I got to be worried about the next thing I do. Yeah. Um. Uh. 
uh, uh, but yeah, it happens very quickly because you're, you're this, the, the, your current state is all you perceive. Uh, and uh, so uh, so I immediately had this uh, uh, sort of grand plan of the next few things that I would do. As I said, I was going to show everybody what a great mm. actor I was. Uh, and that that ended in, in failure. And then uh, uh, on TV, I, I did a similar thing where I had all these different shows that actually got on the air uh, and then got canceled. Um, which, uh, you know, it's a, it's an achievement to get on the air. It's um, it's unbelievable. It's tough. great. It's, yeah. it's very, very hard. Uh, uh, and, and, but it's great cause you get to fail in front of everybody, uh, yeah. which is, you know, spectacular and, and enjoyable. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, you start to feel like, okay, maybe there, maybe I'm doing something wrong here. And, and actually when I spent about three years without a job, I, well, I, I had, I did a Becker. I did an episode of Becker. <laughs> I did an episode of The Practice, yeah. uh, where I was a, uh, uh, I believe I, uh, um, uh, I was a sex, sexual predator. Uh, um, <laughs> think. Played it that think. way anyway. Yes, yeah, that's, a, that's how it came off, uh, certainly. Uh, uh, and, and that was it, you know. Yeah. And you, you suddenly start to actually wonder, okay, there's something else I, I, maybe there's something else I have to do. But you know you're a good actor. You've gotten enough response in the past. You just felt like these things that have happened are going to keep me from moving on. Yes, but th there's so much luck involved. Yeah. Uh, 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 you know, so many times that if you that that you cannot plan it, you cannot. You just have to be in the moment, and mm -hmm. and uh, uh, so knowing that that so much of your destiny is up to luck uh, is terrifying. Um, even if you're good, there's a, a a huge amount of it is just up to like luck. Like you could sit here and just start to run off people that you think are fantastic yes. and no one has ever never, heard of. Never. I talk about one of the guys in the book, a guy, yeah. an actor named Leland Crook, one of the best, uh, uh, astonishing guy. I did a play with him in London, and he's astonishing. Uh, have you heard of Leland Crook? You yeah. should have. Right. Uh, well, you did now. God yeah. damn it. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, and there's there's plenty of Leland Crooks out well, there. Well, mm -hmm. we don't know him, but we do know the Kardashians. So that's, yes. that's how life yeah. works. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but isn't that the strangest thing, that there, the fairness never plays into no. this? No, no. Uh, it, it, it does not. Um, and, and that's a hard lesson to learn. Mm -hmm. Um, but thankfully I grew up in a theater family. My mother was a, an actress and my dad is an actress and my mother's a playwright as well. And so early on, I, I, I got right. that there's an awful lot of luck involved in this. Uh, and that it's only if, uh, 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 you can love the struggle. Um, you know, love the hard stuff yeah. that you'll enjoy it. And I, I and, and that is actually when, whenever actors ask me, what is the advice? I said, look, if you can, if you can love how stupid this business is and it's stupid and unfair, if you can love that, then great. Because it's, it's certainly entertaining. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, and, and it does, it does keep you going. You know, there's a lot of time you end up shaking your head, but you know, that's, that's the way it is. So what about the struggle? Do you really enjoy as an actor? Uh, I enjoy, uh, how, how ridiculous it is. I enjoy, uh, uh, you know, at one point during the, the sort of period when, when things weren't really happening for me, uh, I decided to, uh, write an independent movie. And I, I, I wrote it. I was really proud of it. Uh, uh, I, we produced it, uh, you know, micro budget in New York. And I actually got to audition actors. And because I was going to be in the, the, the movie, um, uh, I thought, you know, here, I'll be reading with all the actors uh, and and, uh, you know, because a lot of the time actors go in an audition and they read with a, a reader. 
uh, and a reader just reads the lines very sort of monotone. Um, it's not because they're trying to be jerks or anything, or they're, it, it's because they don't want to, uh, they want to, they want the spotlight to be on you as the, the person auditioning. So it makes sense. And, uh, and, uh, but I thought I was, you know, I'm going to work with them. I'm really going to act <laughs> with these people. And, uh, and so we read with a, a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, with with everybody who came in, and and it was amazing what kind of wonderful, famous actors would come in at, uh, for this tiny independent movie, um, and uh, and suck. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, it was awkward. Yeah, because, you know, I'd be like, wait, wow, because you know, if you're not right for it, you're gonna suck for it. You're, you're just gonna suck. Uh, uh, and that, and, and actors seem to think, you know, it's a, no, I could play anybody, you know, uh, I could, uh, when they make the life story of Diana Ross, I'm going to be Diana Ross. No, <laughs> you're John Cryer. It's, a, you're not going to be Diana Ross. Um, uh, uh, you know, so, but that's a fallacy that we hold very dear as actors and it has to be sort of ripped from you. Um, to, to when you watch the audition, it's like, if you're not the right guy, you're not going to get it no matter what. Uh, uh, and so you really can't worry about it. Because if you're the right guy, you're going to get it. Um, so, but I had a, a, a fun experience. One, this young guy came in and I, I read with him and he was very, very good. And, uh, and, uh, we, you know, the scene we were reading really clicked and it was, it was a lovely moment. Uh, and, uh, uh, we offered him the part the next day and I happened to run into him on Sixth Avenue a couple days later. And I was like, Hey, I'm so excited you're doing the movie. He was like, Yeah. He's like, Hey, I just want to say that you are the best reader I have ever worked with. <laughs> You should act. <laughs> and I, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'll try it. <laughs> was that so strange for you to see it from the other side, though? For Oh, yeah. The first oh, it time? was life-changing. Yeah. It was absolutely life-changing. Um, now I, I, I still go on auditions uh, sometimes because, you know, on, on some level, it's better having to prove that you can do it. Um, I've been hired for things uh, just on an offer where they didn't see me audition. And it's weird because you're showing up and you better be doing it right <laughs> because uh, uh, because you're in and you're doing it. Um, and I, on some level, I like auditioning. I like showing them the way I intend to do it so that they know what's going to happen. Um, so and that has just transformed for me. I'm not nearly as nervous auditioning as I used to be. Um, and that used to be just the bane of my existence. That was the toughest thing yes. of all. Yeah. Despite it, having done it this many times, it's still. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because, well, because you're out in the hallway with all the other actors and you invariably see somebody fantastic <laughs> out in the hall, you know, and you're like, I'm auditioning. I'm looking up. Oh, hey. Oh, there's Russell Crowe. <laughs> Wearing the same jacket as you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you're like, I'm boned. I'm not going to get this. Russell Crowe is going to get this. Uh, so, so, uh, and I, I, I think I had that moment with Kevin Spacey too. You know, it's just like, oh, come on, really? <laughs> um, so it, it's, it's very nerve wracking out there and you try to be friendly with the other people out there and you've met a bunch of them at other auditions and stuff. And a lot of them know each other. It's, it's fun actually when older actors audition because they know each other for 30 years, right. you know, and they're, so they have much more fun out in the hallway than anybody else, you know, and you can, they're, they're usually laughing so hard. They're disrupting the audition that's occurring. <laughs> Uh, next door, but uh, um, but 
it, but it's a it's a it's a very tough process when you when you sign in basically when you go to an audition you have this the, the the pages and you show up and you have to sign in and there's this long list of all the other people who have just auditioned before you and you stand out in the hall and you're, you're all sort of some of you are wearing the trying to sort of dress like the character a little bit and that's a little goofy uh and some of you are are you know and you're you don't know if the people are actually being nice to you because they're genuinely nice people or they're just you know sort of putting on a show or sometimes people try to fuck with your head <laughs> um you know and uh and so it, it's very loaded and i it was never my my favorite part but it's much 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 more easy for me now i always think it's amazing when people would think oh i couldn't do that because i'm i would be afraid and then you find out that the people who do that are afraid as well oh yeah somehow we just think oh he's that doesn't bother him so yeah. he goes in and and takes that kind of rejection, but it's yeah. still it's the same. You know who I wonder if he's afraid? Uh, Neil Patrick Harris. Is he ever afraid? It doesn't. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. He's the only guy. Yeah. I, I did a I did a a, a musical. I did Company with right. him. And I talk about it in in the book a little bit. And God help me, he showed up being that guy in that part. We hadn't rehearsed, and he was doing it. You know, and I was like, "Fuck! Is this yeah. just part of you? Is this how does this happen?" Uh, 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 so I don't know. Uh, uh, so I don't know if he ever experiences fear. He may be a Vulcan, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but it sure seems like it from the outside. That was one of my favorite parts of the book, too, of just knowing that you guys were thrown into this big New York moment. And oh, big well, names were. Yeah, yeah. It afraid. was a, it was a situation that was very odd. Basically, uh, uh, when when I when Charlie got fired from the show, the show shut down all of a sudden, and I was unemployed, and my agents panicked, um, <laughs> and they booked me in a show that was a, a production of Company, the Stephen Sondheim musical, at uh, at Lincoln Center. And but they but we were all under the impression that it was a very the the, uh, the encore series series I don't know if you've heard of it uh, is, is uh, this wonderful thing where they bring back old musicals in very casual productions they read the script on stage and you know there's no costumes really sometimes there's costumes but it's in front of the band and there's no sets and it's very casual and fun and sometimes they bring uh, an old show back and it's great like uh, mm -hmm. Chicago uh, started that way you know and uh, but. Uh, but that's what we thought we were doing. And so they booked this crazy cast of Neil Patrick Harris and Patti LuPone and Stephen Colbert and just, just uh, Christina Hendricks, just stunning. <laughs> Nika Noni Rose, just this crazy group of people. Um, but we all got there and found out uh, it wasn't going to be a casual show with us <laughs> holding the scripts. It was a fully staged production of the fucking show that was going to be shot and shown in movie theaters and like IMAX and shit. <laughs> and so... And I, I, so I, I confronted uh, Stephen Colbert. I ran into him at the Comedy Awards. I said, "Dude, did you know that?" And and he was like, "No, I, I'm, I'm supposed to go to karate practice later today because I got to do it in the show." You know, it was it was a very disturbing uh, experience for all of us. Um, but it was cool though because. Just like in sort of a summer stock situation, we had to get together and put on a show, and we did. And then the man himself shows up, and yes, you grew up in theater. Stephen fucking Stontheim <laughs> shows up to watch the show. Uh, You've been working on for two weeks. We've been, we had two weeks to throw together. And it was, it was deeply... Plus, you know, I didn't yeah. know that I had a job to go back to. It was very, right. You know, anyway. Uh, uh, but it's fun in the book. Uh, <laughs> uh, I love those moments, too, because 
in in this business. Yes, I've got it. Oh shit! Now I got to yeah. do it. Is comes up all the, all time, the time in your book. All the time. Yeah. Uh. Uh. Well, in fact, the book came about that way. They my my agents got a book deal <laughs> because I bet them that they couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then I was like, fuck! I got to write, write a book. Yeah. Uh. So you know. Uh. Uh. uh but it. But but to a certain extent. Uh, I think there are some people who feel like they're always prepared and that and they work best that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like Patty Lupone is one of those people like she because because she uh, worked on the music to to company fully three months before we did the freaking show. Uh, uh, she just hired a guy uh, who, you know, a, a, a piano playing med student to come in and work with her on it. <laughs> I was like, smart. You know, I wish I'd if I'd known that three months ago before I got before the show got shut down, I, I would have done it, too. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, there's some people who work that way. And uh, and then there's the rest of us who just fly by the seat of our pants. Well, we were talking about auditioning for things when sometimes you're not right for it. And one thing that CBS was sure is that you were not right for Two and a Half Men. Didn't even want to say it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and I didn't find this out, by the way. Uh, I found some of this out, but uh, but but since I wrote this, people have been coming forward. Like uh, 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 Chuck Laurie, the producer of the show, was saying to me, "Oh yeah, they did not want you at all." He said, "I got a call from the head of uh, of casting of CBS, uh, who will remain nameless." Peter Golden, uh, <laughs> saying there's two words I don't want to hear, uh, John Cryer. <laughs> uh, and for some reason, they just, they, you know, I had done a bunch of, uh, mm-hmm. I had done a bunch of shows uh, that had tanked. Uh, and uh, I had, uh, I, Newsweek ran an article uh, that was saying that, the, that, that, I, I don't know how I, I incurred their ire there, uh, but they decided that the uh, they said, "Why is American television so bad?" Maybe it's because these actors are on it, and the first picture was me. Um, uh, maybe that's why. Uh, and I, you know, I I wrote them an incredibly sarcastic letter in response, um, uh, which that was my revenge. Let me tell you, uh, I won that one. Uh, uh, um, but uh, but there was, as I said, there was three years where I was not getting any work, uh, and uh, uh, and you you kind of don't, you know, it's kind of silly to say, oh, you know, the the industry had branded me a pariah, mm-hmm. but wow, it you know there was there was tumbleweeds blowing sure. through my career. So uh, uh, so when Two and a Half Men happened, it was uh, it was semi miraculous, only because I, I had been told. That, you know, Les Moon actually used to be an actor. Uh, a lot of people don't know that uh, about him. And actually appeared in a couple episodes of uh, The Practice. <laughs> Little tidbit for you. Uh, just something to enjoy. Uh, <laughs> Robert Evans did He was same a sexual thing. predator. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, Robert Evans Robert. was a... Uh, uh, <laughs> but those are the only two I could ever think of. Uh, uh, who, you know, big, that- you know I, no, a few of them... Uh, 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 the, the, the guy who used to be a TNT... Uh, who just left? He's now at DreamWorks. Uh, uh, he um, uh, uh, he was a, an extra in No Small Affair, a movie I did years ago. And the last wow. time I ran into him, he was like, "Hey, I was I was in that <laughs> the bachelor party scene. That was me." I was like, "Oh shit! Wow, that's cool." Um, uh, how did you segue into this? Uh, how did that happen? Um, at any rate, uh, but Les did not want me, uh, and he made it clear to Chuck. I don't know what his reasons were really, but um, but. Uh, 
uh, Chuck gave me this little pick-me-up right before I headed in <laughs> to the audition. He said, honestly, I've never seen anyone change Les's mind. <laughs> <laughs> so, thanks, Chuck. Uh, thanks, Chuck. <laughs> uh, and I, uh, but uh, I was filled with optimism. and uh, For no and apparent reason. For no apparent reason. But that's yeah. actually part of the book is that I have this weird thing where it just doesn't, it doesn't register. I, don't, I, 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 this delusional uh, optimism, and uh, 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 and I, and I also at that point, Charlie and I just had this great chemistry. That was instant. Uh, mm-hmm. We had done hot shots together, and and you know d- didn't you know we worked together in a few scenes, uh, and I you know we didn't we didn't become very close friends. He was still partying very hard at that time and dating uh, Ginger Lynn. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, star of many uh, adult films, uh, uh, adults, you know, sure. <laughs> adult films. <laughs> um, at any rate, uh, uh, so so, but that was so comfortable, and we and Charlie and I so hit it off that it was just it was absolutely apparent, and 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 Les, to his credit, was lovely during the audition, and and uh, you know, you know. Laughed and was very. Uh, uh, Chuck actually helped though. At the end, he applauded. At the end of the audition, <laughs> and Les was like, "Really? Applause? Really? <laughs> that's not cool." But uh, uh, but you know that's that's what happened. And we well, we... The, another piece of luck for you is whatever deal that Chuck Laurie has made with the devil. Yeah. It just keeps <laughs> working, wildly and working, yeah. and working. Mm-hmm. What is it about? Uh, uh, Chuck is, 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 he demands a lot of the people he works with. Um, uh, he works it all out in the writing so that, uh, they're not hoping the actors can make it fly, which happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, they're coming down with a very polished piece of work. Uh, and, uh, have you been in the writer's room with, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it was, it was fascinating to watch because they have to, uh, they have very sort of specific rules about how, uh, how characters have to have a certain amount of jokes. How, if there's, uh, if there's an actor in a scene, uh, he's gotta be serviced. He's gotta be, he's gotta have a couple of, of jokes. Otherwise, you don't, don't have the actor in the scene. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and there's been times when I would sit there and the writers would just grind on, we need another joke for you here. There's something here, but we don't know what it is. And, uh, and I was like, you know what? I, I don't, I don't have to say anything. Mm-hmm. It's fine. <laughs> I can really, I can just be quiet. I can just stand in a corner. Maybe perhaps I can laugh at something somebody else says. How about mm-hmm. that? Uh, um, but there, there are really specific, it's a very specific form. It's almost like haiku, uh, sure. uh, uh the, the multi-camera sitcom. And, and he, so he, he cleaves to that very strongly. He's, he, uh, he is a, a ball breaker about, uh, outlining there's the show. Uh, in, into a form that, where it's really clear what the comedic beats are. Um, he, uh, uh, you know, he, the only thing that's some frustration to the writers who work with him is that he is sometimes arbitrary. You know, at one point they said, we've got a scene where you and Ashton are going to be out on a jet ski in the ocean. Uh, and Chuck was like, it's got to be a canoe. <laughs> okay, it's a canoe. <laughs> uh, uh, um, uh, and uh, you know, so sometimes that is of some frustration to the writers. Um, but uh, but he he has strongly held opinions. He knows what he wants. Uh, uh, he has a great uh, uh, grasp on when you're pushing the joke just far enough 
before it breaks, before it's okay. Now it's ridiculous, yeah. and I don't buy that joke anymore. Um, so he's he, and that's that's an enormous talent because because you know there's a lot of jokes you can get away with, but really the second you think about it, you go ah, that doesn't make any sense at all. You know, yeah. so it was a funny line when you said it, but uh, you know, and those really actually screw up your show. They really do right. because people because it stops. You stop listening because you know that that sometimes jokes are just going to be a joke. You know, they're just not they're not they're not going to mean anything. Uh, and so he's really a stickler for that. But all that work, all that sweat is kind of lost on the home audience who just Hopefully. thinks these people are talking. Good. But we don't okay. realize how much turns up to get the to that misery point. the yeah. utter misery yeah an abject squalor we work in no yeah. it's uh uh well, at least good. the writers no, at but, least the writers and, and that's as it should be they shouldn't yeah. know that that it's sometimes very hard when it's not hard by the way it's the most fun you'll ever have as a mm. human being uh when it's singing and you're doing it in front of the audience and it, you know it's just it's just great what does it feel like for you though when chuck gets a new show that he starts to work on as he's doing Sort of like daddy's leaving. Yeah. <laughs> like daddy is now, daddy's remarried, and yeah. you might see him every now and then. Hopefully, he'll remember your birthday. Yeah, uh, uh, it's a little like that. It, it, uh, uh, when he, uh, a couple years into Two and a Half Men, he started working on Big Bang, mm -hmm. and at the time he was saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to help on the the pilot of that, but then I'm done. I'm back to this, you know. And I was like, yeah, right. Uh, and uh but but to, to his credit uh, he he uh he ran both w very strongly he you know he they shoot on tuesday night we shoot on friday nights so he, they they organize the schedule around him being at every single one of the readings and every one of the uh, uh every one of the run-throughs and so it wasn't like we felt like he he left um uh, then, you know, when Mike and Molly started and, uh, and mom, then it was like, well, bye. You know, it was, it was nice knowing you, Chuck. But that, uh, to have any one of these in your life would be amazing. Yeah. But he's got four going on. He had them at, at the at same, once. yeah, it at was, the same time. It's an astonishing, uh, a feat. And, and then, he, he doesn't just set them up and walk yeah. away either. He's, he's a, a control freak in the best possible way. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, so it was a remarkable, remarkable achievement. And then a lot of America doesn't even learn his name until Charlie starts taking yes, shots at just, him. Uh, yeah, just hating on him. And people have asked me, they must have, they must have been fighting for years yeah. before that thing exploded out onto the internet. No, uh, yeah. Charlie never complained. He never said a word. Like, and I assumed they were close friends. You know, uh, uh, Chuck assumed they were close friends. And then to to you know to for the rants to break out was an absolute lightning bolt from the blue. Certainly for me, you know, I, I uh, you know besides the, the 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 other issues, the drug issues, and all those things, I thought, okay, mental illness it must be setting sure. in at this point because this is crazy. And and if you recall, if you watch any of the enormous amount of video from that time, it, it appeared that, sure. that some sort of psychotic break had occurred. Well, they, I, I always believe that once you get to any kind of addiction, whether it's alcohol yeah. or drug, you're self-medicating for a long time. For some issue, yeah, time. probably. And then we always mm -hmm. think, oh, as soon as he gets off, mm -hmm. you know, the, the alcohol and drugs will be great. Mm -hmm. But that's when the, the problems start to show up again. Mm -hmm. And when that bounces back and forth, it's got to be weird to see America enjoying 
that weirdness. Yes, that know? was the hardest thing for me because I, I thought this guy's going to die and he's, yeah. he's my friend. And some people were really enjoying the entertainment value of it. And that was just heartbreaking to me. And and I had not been used to being sort of in the center of an Internet shitstorm. It's fun. Let me <laughs> tell you. Uh, uh, because just... Because people say the darndest things, uh, and 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 it, I'm sure the guy who invented the the comments section on web pages thought, you know, this will be great. It'll be like a dialogue where people can answer back and yeah. talk about this, and people can talk in a rational way. You know, just yeah. one thing after the other or whatever. And uh, I'm sure they thought they were helping, but they weren't. I don't know if there's anything more horrifying in the world than the comment section and go even to non-show business story it'll be like a, a little girl getting hit by a car and you'll read those comments about how fat she is and you're like yes you're like jesus what is wrong with you people yeah yes yeah. It, it makes it all my pores open at once and i just sweat <laughs> I, I yeah it, it it is terrifying i'm so glad that when i started in the business it did not yet exist uh, because I, I don't know that I could, I don't know how people handle it. I think people are developing kind of a thicker skin you and just understanding to. that yeah. there are people out there who simply want to engage by being as hateful as possible. Right. You know, uh, uh, and that, and it's fascinating to me that that exists. I mean, it's a weird, okay, yeah. you know, good, God bless you, you know, uh, but, uh, uh, but I, I do think to some degree, uh, hopefully younger people are developing a, a thing where they can disengage from that and not, not, take it in i however will occasionally sure. you know i'm enjoying my twitter feed oh, oh people are liking the new look yeah. okay okay you know <laughs> oh jesus you know and there's yeah. something horrible it's you yeah, know. you're right <laughs> we're, we're probably going to have the be the last generation who has feelings yes <laughs> after this they're yes. just like that means nothing yeah yeah because yeah. you have to yeah you know? and, and they you know they say kids are doing this back and forth at school now so it's just not Show business. No, folks. I, I, I hope yeah. not. I, I, I hope they can they can steer clear of all that stuff. So w when everything went south with Charlie, A, you feel for him as a person, mm -hmm. but B, you guys are in a business together, a very successful business mm -hmm. together that should run for years. And that's in jeopardy now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, but honestly, I was so terrified about him physically, about that 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 he was that the next thing I read on my phone, because you know you get all these notifications that the next right. thing I read is he's going to be dead, you know, and uh, and that's awful. And I and it, it suddenly hit me. It was like, oh my gosh, what does Martin Sheen wake up with every morning? Right. You know, uh, 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 so that was so that was overpowering. I, yeah. I that was the worst part of it. Um, that when, when the, when the show was shut down, I thought, well, you know, it, to, to have a run of at that point, eight years was, you know, incredibly lucky to begin with. Uh, uh, so I, I was just, just accepting it on that level. Um, and you know, great. Show. I mean, Seinfeld only went nine seasons, mm -hmm. or, you know, and uh, everybody loves Raymond, same thing. So, you know, it's not like, you know, that it, it would have been that catastrophic. Um, uh, but, but uh, still, you know, the, 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 the most disconcerting aspect of it was that it was so huge and worldwide. And I was like, people care about this in China, you yeah. know, <laughs> um, and they did, yeah. uh, 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 you know, all over the world. Uh, 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 so, and it, anywhere I would travel, I was just pelted with just questions <laughs> about it and, and, uh, you know. And uh, I just couldn't I couldn't believe that that, that something of this 
the, the, the only way this was important was if Charlie was going to die, you know. Mm-hmm. But but literally, other than that, there's, this was not that important. But when your friend, you're concerned that your friend is going to die, and then they, why this is happening, to find out that, oh, not, let's put together a tour and take this madness on the oh, road. yes. I mean, I mean. You, well, yes. Uh, yeah. It's it kind of, it seems like something that would happen in like the 1880s. Right. <laughs> you know, like a, some weird, like a freak show. Yeah. You know, where Elephant like we've man. got a, we've got a yeah. man covered with hair. Let's take him on the road. Uh, um, yeah. That, that during the height of the madness, uh, Live Nation actually offered Charlie a, a tour to go, uh, you know, and, and put on, let's put on a show. And, and I love that he was like, yeah, I'm game. <laughs> yeah. 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 Have you ever put on a show? No. <laughs> do you have any idea of what you want to do in this show? No. <laughs> you know, and he went out and, and, and it was awful. You know, <laughs> that you actually need to make a show if you're going to put on a show. Oh. Uh, 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 but, but, I, and I was astonished that nobody said that to him or, I mean, it seemed like nobody said it to him. Yeah. Um, they, they, I, I guess they, they thought that you just show up, you know, and uh, and it'll go great. So while that's happening, uh, Chuck decides to keep the the show going on. Yes, yes, that was uh, that was a very odd moment because I got a text from him. And, uh, uh, like he said, I've got an idea. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and I, but I thought that I didn't know if they were trying to bring Charlie back, if he had maybe, you know, seen the light and was going into rehab or something. Cause, cause every now and then stuff would happen without, you know, at one point Chuck had, had, had come to me. This was before, um, this was long before the, the, the craziness broke out, uh, and said, you know, Charlie's in trouble. Can you talk to him? And I said, okay, I'll, uh, you know, we have rehearsal together tomorrow. I'll talk to him. I showed up at rehearsal and heard Charlie's in rehab. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess, guess, guess it worked. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, you're, you're welcome, Chuck. <laughs> um, uh, but so, so stuff was happening sometimes that I did not know about. Uh, and so I thought, I, I didn't know if they had gotten Charlie back, but I, but I found out and I talk about it in the book that, it, that, that they weren't talking about bringing it back with Charlie. They were talking about bringing it back with a, a, another actor. Um, and I know who you're thinking of, uh, Hugh Grant. Uh, <laughs> it was actually, it was, it was supposed to be Hugh Grant. Uh, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> you got Hugh Grant? And I met with him and they got Hugh Grant. They signed Hugh Grant and I was going to be two and a half men. It was going to be John Cryer and Hugh Grant. Uh, and then I get another phone call. No, it's not Hugh Grant anymore. <laughs> yeah. So it's very strange. It was, Did you uh, even have the story lined up of why you would be with Hugh Grant? Did you even know? Like, yes, yes, yeah. there was a whole. Uh, Chuck had worked out a whole story about um, uh, that he that he was a British guy who had come to the United States because his uh, his daughter was going to USC and he worked at the consulate, the British consulate, and he uh, just needed a place to live. And, and my brother had would have Alan's brother would have died. Charlie would have died and that I needed the, the money to pay the, the mortgage on the the, the uh, Malibu house. So he moves in with me. And then I find out he's actually a con man that uh, that he doesn't work at the consulate. That he's just an incredibly charming guy who's full of shit. Uh, and, uh, and it seemed like a really fun idea. And, and he was totally uh, seemed like he was totally up for it. And then and then at the last minute, he wasn't, you know. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, it was it was. It was odd because so you know it was kept in this level of secrecy at the time that was like the the, the nuclear go codes uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know that the president keeps, um, but uh, 
but then Les wanted to, us to talk to Ashton, and I and I when that idea first came up, I I was thrown a little because I was like, I don't know. Um, besides the fact that I dated his wife when I was doing uh, No Small Affair, we weren't really connected. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so you know, I didn't know how that would work. And Chuck didn't know. He had no idea how that was going to work. So we were all sort of like, well, what do we do? Because Ashton's a great guy, and he was he killed it on, on that 70s show. Um, and, uh, and we knew we had an opportunity, but we didn't know what to do with it. Uh, so... So I had a, a we, they, they brought him in for a meeting, you know, and he was wearing, if you recall, he was totally bearded at the time. Yeah. Uh, that was crazy. Uh, <laughs> I don't know who does that kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> but uh, 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 he was totally bearded at the time. And, uh, you know, it was very, um, it was a lot of feeling out in the, uh, uh, in the meeting, but it was. But uh, but Chuck just fell in love with him. Chuck just yeah. you know if you if, I don't know if you've ever interviewed him or or had a chance to meet him. No, I have. But he's he's fun. He's a lovely mm-hmm. guy and uh, and a goofball ha- and happy to be a goofball and which is kind of fun in a devastatingly handsome guy. Um. <laughs> uh, uh, so so and he was up for anything, you know. So uh uh so you know it it, it was kind of a uh I learned a lot from him. I I you know he came into the situation that that I would be just petrified of, you know, they're just, you know, the, the highest rated show we ever did was Ashton's first show back, you know, it was just enormous amount of attention and to try and be funny in that situation is, is really hard. Some of the attention (laughs) is let's watch this train. Let's let's hope this guy, Yeah. yeah, let's hope this guy blows it. Uh, and he didn't, you know, he did a great job. And, and, you know, the funny thing is Charlie had done that too. In another movie, another in, in, in Spin City. In Spin City, yeah. He had yeah. taken over for Michael J. Fox. Which was also an which impossible thing. absolutely re- resurrected his career. You yeah. know, he had at that point, he'd been doing, you know, Navy SEALs or something, you know. <laughs> and and, uh, uh, and he, he did that and he won a Golden Globe for it. And he yeah. was legitimately, he's terrific in the sitcom form, you know. Uh, uh, so it was interesting to, that he felt invincible that there was no, that he, he could not be replaced. So when it comes out and it works with Ashton and you get years more out of it, mm-hmm. is there still this feeling of Charlie's looming? You know, there was always talk that he was going to come mm-hmm. back for the last episode. Uh, yeah, you know, it was, it was frustrating to me because I, uh, because I knew Charlie when he was sober and I, and I, there there were times when that guy comes through and you still see it every sure. now and then he'll be super charming uh, uh there was a tmz tape of, of him uh drunkenly approaching people waiting in line at a at a burger you know and he's pasted but charming uh you know and you're like mm-hmm. oh guy like that guy you know he's being very friendly with them and talking to everybody and get to posing for pictures drunk you know uh um and uh uh, you know, and, but, but he'd do that and then he would tear into Ashton on Twitter and then he would say something horrible about Chuck and then say something horrible about the show. And I was like, decide who you are, man. Cause, yeah. I, cause, uh, cause this is very frustrating to me. Uh, and I had hoped that he would be in the finale of the show. Um, and, and I know that, uh, you know, a lot of, there was a lot of communication and, and hope that he would, that he would do it. Um, uh, but in the end, he couldn't agree on on what happened. I mean, in the end, they dropped the piano on him on the show. 
uh, which for some reason he took as a hostile gesture. Uh, <laughs> they, they, um, uh, but it really wasn't because the whole, the whole, that whole final episode was very meta. I mean, we were looking at the camera and making jokes about the stupid jokes we tell and, you know, and, and, and I think if he'd known that, he might he might have been willing to participate, but I but nobody read the whole script. I I had not I did not even read the part that he, that they were talking to him about. I didn't read it, so I didn't know what happened in it. Uh, so you didn't think it was like sharp sticks in his side? It was um, I, some of the I, you know it's funny because Chuck always Chuck during Chuck Lorre during the course of the madness always felt uh, 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 just blindsided you know he mm. felt like that he and charlie were friends and that this came out of nowhere and, uh, and that he was just trying to help charlie uh, get clean um but charlie didn't want to get clean you know mm. and uh and and to a certain extent you know his life was made very very difficult during the course of that you know the the internet uh hatred sure. was just intense uh at him and uh, you know he had a higher personal security and you know, he they, at one point Charlie gave out his number on a uh, uh, on a to a radio host, and he got so many calls. You know that he that, that he got so many death threats. He had to you know get a get you know get cameras and all, the whole nine yards. Um, so so I don't know to what extent uh, Chuck's feelings uh, you know might have have hardened towards the end of that. You know, um, but. Uh, but I, I would understand it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he, he tried for so long, and so many of his efforts got mistaken for uh, hostility. You know, at one yeah. point, at one point, he wrote uh, a very funny vanity card uh, uh, saying, uh, saying, uh, you know, if Charlie Sheen outlives me, I'm going to lose my shit. You know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, and it was a joke that a joke that he told Charlie, <laughs> and and that Charlie read that, yeah. you know, and laughed about it. Um, and, uh, uh, but it happened to come out, uh, uh, a week after Charlie was fired. And so it looked like this jab, but it wasn't, you know, it was just, uh, you know, it, so the, the interpretation of that, that narrative was sure. very distressing for Chuck. And I wouldn't be surprised if he had some rough feelings about it, but he also lives a sober life and knows that yes. part of that is not yes, giving exactly. up, you know, and, and Charlie's family, by the way. Just really beautiful, fantastic people. Lovely people. Who are also, you know, his father also lives that life and, you know, keeps the door open for him. Um, You know, it was so much fun talking to you, and I want to point out to everybody that the book is really like this conversation. It just, it it is just transcript. It really is conversation. But it's just, it it just goes from funny story to funny story. And John uh, actually does go meta and step back and laughs at himself and his problems, and it's really a fun read. Thank you so much for coming in here. Thank you. I'll see you next time, baby. That was terrific. Stand by for more of the best of Ron and Fez. Ron and Fez on Raw Dog.